Welcome to A Journey of Transformation Empowerment. You're listening to Antonio T. Smith Jr. Where ideas ignite, change, and possibilities are endless. Before we dive into today's episode, we have something special for our listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by a groundbreaking book that's reshaping the conversation around Black economic empowerment. It's Resegregation, Volume 1, The Power Matrix, a master plan for Black group economics with wealth creation, authored by visionary Antonio T. Smith, Jr., Antonio isn't just an author. He's a former top-secret combat special operations intelligence sergeant turned millionaire. His life work championed the economic autonomy and wealth creation within black communities. In this seminal work, dedicated to teachings of Dr. Claude Anderson, Antonio outlines a comprehensive blueprint covering critical sectors like finance, technology, manufacturing, and more. He blends military discipline with acute understanding of systematic disparity. This isn't just a book. It's a movement. A call to action to create lasting wealth and reshaping the economic narrative. Antonio's vision is clear. Drive a significant shift toward black ownership and control. Listeners, if you've ever wondered about innovative strategies for wealth creation or how technological transformation can uplift the black communities, then this book is for you. Join Antonio Smith Jr. on the transformative journey. Pick up your copy of The Resegregation Volume 1, The Power Matrix today and be a part of the reshaping future. Now, let's dive into the episode and explore the possibilities that await us. how we're treated and just because of our color doesn't mean anything to me. I believe that you're doing great. You're doing a great job. We are black people and we shouldn't have to feel like this. We shouldn't have to protest because y'all are treating us wrong. We do this because we need to and have rights. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
let let her let her talk. Go ahead. I've been born and raised in Charlie. And I never felt this way till now. And I can't stay at home with training. It's a shame that our fathers and mothers are killed and we can't even see them anymore. It's a shame that we have to go to their graveyard and bury them. And we have tears and we shouldn't have tears. We need our fathers and mothers to be by our side. you're about to listen to is a conversation between two people with two very different backgrounds but no agenda except for the agenda to want to find a solution and bring together closer our brothers and sisters that we all share this world and share this country this is coming from the usa but really worldwide with poverty is not hope but if you're not careful, you'll let a preacher like me tell you poverty is holy. Can I submit to you that all of you have been bamboozled and hoodwinked? You you have gotten it messed up. You you think that you have to have a penalty when you get blessed. Think about it. When is the last time you received a compliment without deflecting it? When is the last time you got you a new car without thinking about how much it was going to cost you for the next four years? See, the moment you get something, you immediately think about the penalty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, we, we, we keep choosing poverty. You see, yeah. see, the way it works in this parable, they were giving something, yeah. and all they had to do was move forward. Yeah, yeah. Can I submit to you that you stopped moving forward a long time ago? Right. Can I give you some knowledge just for a second? Some real knowledge. So let's argue about something that we cannot dispute. Yeah. Y'all right. struggling. Yeah. And you're not in power. Yeah. Can I break it out for you? Yeah. I'm gonna walk off. Amen. We, as a culture, bring in 14 million dollars a weekend in this faith-based kind of place. Yeah. And you ain't got better. Amen. Amen. Think it's bad. I'm going to progressively get worse throughout this entire keynote thing here. Listen to me. $14 million every weekend. And you make $750 an hour. That is a problem. And when they don't have to listen to you, because they know all they got to do is wait till Wednesday and you'll be bankrupt. All y'all in here praying all these lofty prayers, but you ain't saving 10%. All right, all right. Now, there's two reasons why you have not saved 10%. One of them is your fault, the other is mine. The one that's your fault is not worse than my fault. So let me start with you. You don't have the discipline to save 10%. 
Because you selfish. You care so much about spending every dime you have. You don't care nothing about the legacy of your children. Now I gotta start a GoFundMe to push you in the ground. I got a problem with our stagnancy, and I'm, I got a platform I'm going to talk about. I shouldn't have to start no Kickstarter logo on me, and neither can your children inherit your food stamps. See, that's your problem. That's bad, because the only thing you're doing is teaching your children poverty. Now, let's talk about me. I teach you the time. But I don't teach you the fact that I got four investment accounts. I teach you what to do with the team. Yeah, yeah. But I don't teach you what to do with the night. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't care how you slice it, that's slavery. Yeah, I don't care how you slice it, that is a prostitution of the word of God. I don't care how you slice it, if I do you like that. I am your slave owner and I'm keeping you in a condition to stay pop. Yeah, 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 yeah. Amen. Amen. Don't get worse. It's gonna get worse. It's gonna get worse. Because we have me, talking about me right now. We have misunderstood what wealth is. And so we went all the way back to a warp mindset and said wealth is about having sheep. All right. Can I bring you back to the ancient world? Yeah. If you was a shepherd, you ain't had no credit scores. Right, right. You ain't had no job but the shepherd. And all you had to do was watch the sheep. But your job was to keep the sheep sleep. And the more sheep you have, the wealthier you are. You ain't got to like it. I still got the platform. Unless you bring your gun, I ain't moving. The shepherd's job was to keep the sheep following him and sleeping. And the more sheep he acquired, the wealthier the shepherd became. And I shouldn't be turning you into sheep so only I can have wealth. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Can I do it a little harder? Go ahead. Ain't no sense in the world your pastor should be the most successful person in your church. It's more of you than it is of him. That's right. And if the only, you got to go home and walk with this yourself, but if the only person in your church that is experiencing overflow as the pastor, you need to run. My name is Gavin Lira, and I am a 19-year-old from a town, a small town of about you know 6,000 people, predominantly white town. Um, you know, grew up, never had to worry about food, any of that, you know, been well off my whole life. And Antonio has a very different upbringing and background. And this is why this conversation is so beautiful, because we respect each other, but we really push each other's viewpoints and beliefs and question it to see 
into the psyche of how we both think so we can better understand each other and come together. And it's a very unique experience to see and listen to two different people that grew up so differently, but still have respect for each other and don't just yes man each other and agree with everything. I come from homeless from six to 14, aged out of CPS custody, fell to fifth grade and sixth grade. Today, I'm a multimillionaire. Just this year, I've already donated $500,000 to black communities and businesses. But challenge each other's thoughts in a respectful manner and have healthy dialogue. So if you're looking for some roast session or you know some interview where somebody gets quote unquote exposed, this is not it. This is two people who simply want to understand each other more and want better for their brothers and sisters that they share this world with. So with that being said, this interview, there's really three main parts. We really start on the history. We take a good hour and really go into the history of this country and how different laws, legislation have set up some of the current um, scenarios in today, which is what we spend the next chunk of time on are the current issues that we're facing that were set up from the history and different facets. And then we go into solutions, right? Because what's the point of talking about problems, if current problems, if you're not going to talk about the solutions to those problems? And I think Antonio specifically has some really clever solutions at the end that are not talked about in the media, right? Antonio, you know, this is a conversation between me, Gavin Lahren, and Antonio T. Smith Jr., who is a multimillionaire in the black community that has done great things and will continue to do so with a very different thought process than what you're used to hearing. So get ready for something that you haven't seen before and something that isn't going to be, like I said, uh, a video where anyone's getting exposed. It's something where we're listening to each other, agreeing, disagreeing, and learning more about each other and why we think and believe the things that we do and how we can come together as a whole and make this better, a better country for everyone involved, regardless of color. Hello, everyone. Today, we're kicking it up and we're doing something a little different. We have Antonio T. Smith Jr. here with me, Gavin Lira, and Usually, I talk about entrepreneurship, I talk about business, but at the end of the day, I do have a passion for really just making this world a better place. And actually, even before I got into like entrepreneurship, I started, well, it was around the same time, but just posting videos to help people um, with stuff that's helped for me that really made me no money, but it was something I enjoyed doing and still do enjoy doing, especially if you guys have me on Snapchat, you see some of those, some of the extra stuff. But really, um, with everything going on lately, I've known Antonio for a while now. I had him on the podcast earlier and he's somebody who I respect and he's a leader definitely in the black community. And I just want to have a discussion, not a debate, but a discussion where we understand each other. And I especially hear about Antonio and what he's encountered in his life and how that's affected him and really how that shapes his views and opinions and kind of bouncing back, you know, if we have a disagreement, talking about it and what we disagree on. And with that being said, Antonio, let the people know who you are, who we got on, we got on the show today. Pastor Tony and Cynthia has left HBU and they've made it to Beach Nut and they're continuing on with the walk.
doing so far? from the camera. <laughs> she waiting for us to get her at the finish line. Our pastor making his way. Making the ultimate sacrifice for his church and his members. Very tired. Got the support of his, very much. his whole church family. Keep walking. My pastor making that ultimate sacrifice. Back hurt and foot sore. But he is still carrying on in the name of Jesus. We're approaching that old Galveston Road. We're almost at the halfway mark. God is de definitely going to see him through. We got his classmate Cynthia on who has decided to make the walk with him to help our church reach our goals. She didn't have to do it, but she did. And we want to thank her for everything that she's doing and making that walk with our pastor. She doesn't want to be on camera. She wants to wait until she's done when, I, when 50 pounds has left her. morning with our pastor Tony. I want to tell him a uh, great job. Keep up the good work. It's cold obviously <laughs> and um, I just commend him for what he's doing for our church. I really do. Alright <laughs> All right, here we go. We got Pastor Tony and them. They walking up. They leading the way. You can see all the pain and the agony he's in, but he's making the walk. He done cramped up, he done knotted up, he done pulled hamstrings, he done walked a mile, the country mile. There go three of them right there, the rest of them coming on up. Yeah. And you can see how he walks. Greatness is not this wonderful, esoteric, elusive, godlike feature that 
only the special among us uh, will ever taste. I have intentions in the next, by the next 2020, by the end of 2024, should everything go right, I should be a billionaire. I have intentions to give away $1.35 billion back to the world, regardless of, of, of ethnicity or religion. I want to give that to middle class and, and poor middle class and struggling people unrestricted. And also, I'm going to start three different schools. They're going to cost me about a million dollars a piece. They're going to be free enrollment from 10 to 25 years old. And they're going to teach business, sales, marketing, computer programming, free enrollment. And one of those is going to be in India. One is going to be in the hood in Houston. And one is going to be in the hood in Galveston County, where I'm from. So that's me in a nutshell, the unhumble version. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't hold back. And if you guys want to know more about Antonio, too, I did a podcast with him uh, a while ago. So you'll be able to find it there as well. But, you know, getting started, Antonio, with everything going on, um, you know, clearly at the time of this recording, there are many protests, a lot of discussion about different racial issues in the United States. And I really just kind of want to start and I'm assuming there are multiple problems that you identify, but what are some of the key problems that you see in our country today that involve, you know, around this issue? No, that's, that's a good point. Number one, I promise to your entire audience, all I'm going to do is spit facts, tell you what's going on. Uh, secondly, I guess number two is if I do insert my opinion, then I'll flat out let you know this is my opinion. I'm tired of my black men and my black women being shot, being killed by the NYPD. I'm tired of it. I have three black men in my home. I'm tired. I am tired. The main problem confronting the United States today is actually the number one problem that is causing the race war or whatever that may be is one is the word race right that in that in that implies context and i'm sure we'll come back to that and when it's a race it automatically assumes that one has to win there can be no equals and if we get on the track and race all of us are not supposed to end in a tie so right there psychologically this is already an issue additionally there's one thing everyone needs to understand and maybe this will help you the only way to get wealth is to have wealth and this is so important for you to understand you cannot have wealth without already having wealth so if you want to be wealthy you must already first be wealthy mm -hmm. so the question becomes how do you become wealthy then you must have a labor force and this is what's important this is the number one thing plaguing right now so in order to get wealth you got to be wealthy but in order to get wealth in the first place, you got to have a labor force. Black people have been robbed of their labor force for as long as you understand black history. We do not have a labor force. We, we came to this country as someone else's labor force. Mm -hmm. the, the whole reason why you would have a world power, every world power that exists comes from child labor or slavery. There is nothing else, right? child labor or slavery because child labor you could pay pennies on a dollar and keep the rest slavery you could pay pennies on a dollar and keep the rest so black folk don't have a labor force there's no one that works for black people black people work for white people number one mm -hmm. this is a major issue and then we don't control the resources but if you're going to have labor then you need to have resources our resources were taken from us and then we have been systematically 
laws have been in place, and I'll get to that here in a little bit about mm-hmm. what's the difference between American slavery, that have never allowed us to have resources to get back the resources that were taken from us or to become the, the labor force. Last thing I'll say about this. Basically, in America, it's real simple. If white man and black man are both laborers, then it is designed for black man to be in the hole, white man to drive the truck. This is your number one problem and everything else is systemic from that. But I'm sure you're going to ask questions and we're going to get to all that stuff. Yeah, I'd love to dig into different parts of that a little further because so... It's interesting because this is one thing that I also have thought to be very true, but I want to, I guess, go deeper on some of the more so current issues with this. So with economics and the systemic, you know, uh, different property laws and things throughout history, which I'm sure you'll dive into and you'll probably know exactly which ones to point out. But um, pretty much. Yeah. Because to me, I think so many of these problems actually start um, because of wealth and money, uh, not just necessarily because of, you know, race. And it just is, so I guess defining wealth, to go back to that, um, I know you said you need a labor force to create wealth, but at the same time, I mean, I guess, what would you define as wealth then? Because... For me, when I think of wealth, I mean, everyone kind of has a different definition, but I'm thinking like you could get a job for somebody in sales, right? And, you know, make a six, seven figure income uh, and you don't necessarily need a labor force to sell besides from the fulfillment team. Wealth inequality is even more of a problem than income inequality. That's because you have to have enough savings from income to begin to accumulate wealth, buying a house or investing in stocks and bonds, or saving up to send a kid to college. But many Americans have almost no savings, so they have barely any wealth. The richest 1% of Americans own 40% of the nation's wealth. The bottom 80% own just 7%. Low-income families of color are especially disadvantaged because they're less likely to have savings or inherit wealth and face significant barriers to building wealth such as discriminatory policies and practices that thwart home ownership. These structural disadvantages have built up to the point where the median net worth of white families is now more than 10 times greater than that of African-American or Latino families. So what can we do to help all Americans accumulate wealth? First, reform the tax system. So capital gains, that is, increases in the value of assets, are taxed at the same rate as ordinary income. Also, limit how much mortgage interest the wealthy can deduct from their incomes and how much retirement savings the wealthy can defer. And then use the tax savings from these changes to help lower-income people gain a foothold in building their own wealth. For example, provide every newborn child with a savings account consisting of at least $1,250 and more if a child is from a low-income family. This sum will compound over the years into a solid next deck. Research shows it could reduce the racial wealth gap by nearly 20%, more if deposits are larger. At age 18, that young person could use the money for tuition or training, a business, or a home. Studies show such accounts can change children's behavior and increase the likelihood they'll attend college. 
Also, allow families receiving public benefits to save. Today, a family receiving public assistance can be cut off for having saved just $1,000. Raise the limits on what a family can save to at least $12,000, roughly three months' income for a low-income family of four, and thereby put that family on the road to self-sufficiency. These simple steps would allow families to invest in their own futures, which is the surest way out of poverty. All of us benefit when everyone has the opportunity to accumulate wealth. Wealth is freedom, period. We can say whatever we want to say, but wealth is freedom, and wealth is also power. So wealth is both freedom and wealth is power. So if I go get a job and go make six figures, seven figures, eight figures, that doesn't make me wealthy. That makes me a seven-figure slave. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, now, while that sounds funny, that's a football player. That's a National Football League player who is not allowed to take a knee and peaceful protest because he is a seven, eight-figure slave. And at any time that someone decides to take him from his contract or blackball him, Colin Kaepernick, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Then that means this person is not wealthy. I think it's ridiculous. It just pisses me off. NFL fans in Sacramento got fired up as the Star Spangled Banner played out in local bars and restaurants, and Kaepernick stayed on his knee. CBS 13's Jennifer McGraw continues our team coverage live from the Firestone Public House in Midtown Sacramento with what fans had to say about the quarterback's actions. Jennifer? Yeah, Sam and Christina, this isn't just NFL fans we're talking about. Kaepernick's stance to just sit out the national anthem has just about everyone talking. For the It was an action everyone was expecting. But not one some are willing to accept. I think it's ridiculous. It just pisses me off. You know, I'm just frustrated by that. I mean, I get it. He gets the right to do what he wants to do and protest it. It still pisses me off. As 248 military members held the flag over the field, some say not standing up during the national anthem is the ultimate disrespect. How many times have we called upon our military to protect us or give us our freedoms? And our flag and anthem always have to be respected, period. Others, however, say that's the point. Let's move on because it takes attention away from the, the proud men and women in that community who serve where the attention should be. And agree Colin Kaepernick has the right to freedom of speech. But it's his right as an American. So if we really believe in your right as an American, it's a non-story. I think he has a right to do whatever, he, however he feels. So if he felt that way, that he didn't need to stand up, then that's his opinion. Kaepernick is also stirring up controversy for wearing his cartoon police pig socks last month during practice. Some are calling his actions a Hail Mary. He's just doing all sorts of things just to initiate some sort of a reaction. I mean, it's effective at that. I just don't think it's the right issues. We're, we're talking about him, not the issues he's, talking, he's trying to bring up, which is the part that pisses me off. And the official season hasn't even got kicked off yet. So, Sam and Christina, it's going to be an interesting season to see if Kaepernick sits the whole thing out because he says he's not going to stand up until things change here in America. Well, and how many other NFL players are going to join him because they've already started? Okay, thanks so much for that. Even more, a big part of the 
wealth gap that occurs is give Gavin seven figures, give Antonio seven figures. We have two different things me and you get to do with those. Mm -hmm. You basically get to walk a straight line for 87% of your life. You don't have to take care of your mom. You don't have to take care of your dad. You can take care of your mom. You mm -hmm. can take care of your dad, but you don't have to. I am expected to bring the whole hood. Yeah. I am expected because we don't have anything. So when you don't have to give out loans for small businesses to your family members, I do. So seven figures when you take it back to the white community and seven figures when I take it back to the black community, those are two different things. This yeah. is exactly why you'll see a lot of people like me make seven figures and then leave people we would have to loan to and never return. So those are things that the little secret hidden nuances there, but they're not so secret if you are black, right? They're just secret if you're not educated in these areas because you don't have to be that way. Yeah. So it's a fantastic thing you talked about. Fantastic question, man. Okay. And thank you. That, that kind of reminds me, um, just thinking of while we're on the topic of money in this, you know, you always yep. hear kind of the thing of if the wealth were distributed equally throughout the whole world, um, it would be back in the hands of the same people, or I guess the majority of the same people within, you know, the That's next right. five years. And it kind of reminds me, um, I wonder if a lot, whether you're black, white, doesn't matter if you're growing up in poverty and then you're given this money. Well, you don't, you don't necessarily know what to do with it in a sense and how to, really take that, say if it is a loan, and make more of it, unless you're also receiving the education. Because yep. I feel like that's a big part of it, no matter what race you are. That's 100% facts. Gavin, let me tell you, and I want your audience to know that I agree with what you're saying. There's another hidden thing there. I agree with everything you're saying. It is a mindset, and I wish more people have that mindset. White people love me. Most of the people who follow me, and I'm very vocal, and I'm extremely pro-black. Got to be careful. Because the only time you can be too anything is when you're too black. You can be too Jewish. You can be too salty. You can be too cheesy. But you can never be too black. The moment you're too black, there's things that we've set up to crush that, right? So essentially, to, to, to intelligently and intellectually receive and answer what, and respond to what you said, you basically said as a mindset. You're right. You're a thousand. I can't. You're in, in, infinity percent right. Here's the problem. Who's controlling that mindset? See, we we liken black people to acting like crabs in a bucket. Only to forget a bucket is not the natural habitat for a crab. So if I have a crab in the bucket mentality, someone put the bucket there and mm -hmm. put me in there. Yeah. Do, do you get it? I get and what you're saying. That is what's behind it. And of course we know where this comes from. Where this comes mm -hmm. from like lynching is from the guy who invented the, the the lynching, right? The legacy of lynching. A memorial is about to remember the lives of thousands of lynching victims in America. 60 Minutes got a first look inside the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Alabama. And WUSA 9's Michael Quander watched and explains the effect it has on our area. One of the most important things that I think I took from that story was the line, we cannot pretend this didn't happen. I watched, sometimes shaking my head or turning away from the screen 
It was hard hearing the details that led up to the more than 4,000 documented lynchings of black people in America after 1877. So that got me wondering, how did that affect us here in the DMV? Well, what I found was just heartbreaking, but it was real. You know, the Commonwealth had 84 lynchings within that 70-year period after the Civil War. And I'm talking about some familiar places in Northern Virginia, like Loudoun, Fauquier, and Culpeper counties. I came across one article from Old Alexandria back in 1899. The headline, Lynching of a Negro. It talked about a mob of people who went into a jail, grabbed a black man out, drug him down the street, and then hung him to a light pole. And if that wasn't bad enough, they then emptied their guns into his body. This was a mix between people taking the law into their own hands and the amplified racism of the Jim Crow era. But you know, this kind of stuff didn't only go down in the South. It happened in non-Southern states too. There were more than 340 lynchings reported in non-Southern states, including right here in Maryland. We spoke to the relatives of the last man who was lynched here in Maryland. His name was George Armwood. He was hung and burned on the Eastern Shore back in 1933. Once they were able to storm through the front door, they went up the stairway and allegedly threw him downstairs. Uh, they took him down and found a tree close to the judge's house. Like slavery, lynching was a part of American history that many people say just should not have happened. But it did. And this new memorial is a way to recognize that. That was our Michael Quander reporting. The memorial is expected to open on April 26th in Montgomery, Alabama. We, we, we mm-hmm. know where this comes from. And then we can systematically, in a little bit, I'm going to bring up the real laws. Because you mentioned it earlier, there, there was no race problems. But mm-hmm. in 1612, that changed. There was one race until the, the dominant culture invented what we call race. The truth is we're having a whole conversation themed in a bunch of pile of BS because there is no race. However, yeah. me and you, we still have to deal with it because something happened and we'll break it down. But you understand, I didn't put myself in the bucket and give me the crab mentality. Somebody mm-hmm. accounted for the bucket and is controlling my impoverished mindset. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I feel like I want to dive into that in a second here because I feel like a lot of that has to do with your subconscious mind too when you're in that environment that you're put into and how that forms. But um, with one one thing that, because I want to basically point out anything that I personally disagree with so I can hear your thoughts on it too. Um, Just from that, Mm -hmm. you know, um, where I talk about like you can't be too anything except too black. I mean, in my opinion... Uh, I don't know. I just think of like a lot of people that get backlash for being too much of something, whether that be too conservative, too liberal, um, too even like positive, too negative. That's true. I just feel like extremes a lot of times get criticized, uh, whether it be correct or incorrect. And I feel like being bl- like, I guess, black pride or, you know, being too black, whatever you want to label it as, is definitely one that gets criticized too. But I guess, how do you think? That's, I mean, do you think that there's a very significant difference that I'm just not, like, thinking of when I compare it to other ones, or? No, it's not you not thinking of something. It is, it's, it's been shielded from you. you. You don't have this problem, so you can't see it, right? You can only see what's in your awareness, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You can, yeah, you, you can't see the thing that's not in your awareness. Let me be extremely fair to you. Again, you're mm-hmm. right completely. 
do you mind if I take about three to five minutes to fully answer this question? Yeah, because, yeah literally, just okay, whatever you got to do to get at it. Yeah, well, yeah, because I got to quote some sources. I don't want yeah, I yeah, yeah. Some, like, I, yeah, yeah, I need yeah, as yeah, much time as you need. Mm -hmm. Good, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate you. So <laughs> essentially, the 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 founding stone for racism happened in 1638, and that stone was laid down in Maryland, and it was called. It was an edict called the Doctrine of Exclusion. Okay, mm -hmm. the Doctrine of Exclusion became the first stone for racism in America. Black people came to America about 1619 as indentured servants. It wasn't only ones; you had Asians building railroads and etc. Mm -hmm. Blacks did quite well between 1619 and 1626. This is this is so. There's different between history and historicity. Historicity is the factual and actual depiction of people and events. It is not up for interpretation. Mm -hmm. History can be up for interpretation. To give you a very terrible example of that, history says Hitler was a good man or Hitler was a bad man. Depends yeah. on what side you stand on, right? Mm -hmm. Historicity says Hitler killed a lot of Jews. Yes, yeah, the You don't get to argue that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> so I can... I can twist history, but what I can never do is twist historicity. So I'm just saying historicity. So blacks mm -hmm. did extremely well. But then the state of Maryland put out the doctrine of exclusion that said that black folks should never be permitted to enjoy the fruits of white society. That's a real deal. That's a mm -hmm. real thing. 1638, doctrine of exclusion, black folk would never be able to enjoy the fruit of white society. This means that every time you get a chance to exclude black people, do it. And this happened all the way to 1665. So what happened next? In 1665, you got people, Europeans who came over from Europe, obviously, and they would, think about this, Gavin, if you're the man, you're not gonna leave your country and go start fresh. Like, let's mm -hmm. just, just think about this for a second. I'm the man. I'm not fit to go to where I'm not the man at yeah. and then go start fresh. Yeah. I am a multi-millionaire. I'm not going to go, right, <laughs> and start where I have nothing. That just doesn't mm -hmm. make any sense. So the people who came over here with respect to, you know, everyone's forefathers and, 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 and matriarchs and patriarchs, these were not the elite of the elite, mm -hmm. the, 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 those who, the aristocrats and stuff, right? This wasn't that. So essentially what happened, they said, well, listen, we don't have a labor force. And this is what happened. They start passing enslavement laws. They took the mm -hmm. doctrine of exclusion that said black people are not, that black people are going to be excluded and they're not compensated, not, not compensated, can't be competitive. And then now you get the opportunity to put out the slave codes that happened in 1705 in order to, to be rich like you over there, England, we need a labor force like y'all have a labor force. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, if you put in Google 1705 slave codes, it will break everything down for you. It says that every white person must accept how black people are treated. And every white institution, every white church, every white business, every white school must treat black people in a subordinate manner. And this is the problem. So, Gavin, basically, you allow me to speak on this issue. Two things are going to happen, brother, before I finish. 
Mm-hmm. One thing is going to happen is people are going to say, Gavin, good job. And they deserve to, and you deserve a good job. The other people, they're going to treat you like a nigger lover. Period, point blank. That's the white ally problem. The white ally problem is Gavin, if Gavin helps me, Gavin gets treated somewhat like me. This was instituted in the slave codes. Let me explain. Any white person who deviated from this, this is in the slave codes in 1705. Mm-hmm. This could get you, Gavin, hurt or lynched. No white person can lift any black person to equality. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And on that end of the spectrum, it said black folk can't carry weapons. Black folks are not allowed to defend themselves. And black folk can't enter into a room without a white person's permission. And in the Diversity Act in 1975, excuse me, 1905, says that every time, please, please, y'all hit it. Every time six people gather together who are black, a white person must be present. You said that was 1905? 17. Oh, okay, gotcha. I misheard that. Yes, yes. No, no, no. I said 1905 by accident and I corrected myself. Oh, okay, gotcha. The Diversity Act in 1705 says that if six people gather in a room and they're black, a white person must be present. Now, I promise you I'm almost done because you asked a very good question and my, my heart bleeds for people to hear this. This happens. This is why we're getting shot. Well, this is part of the reason why we're getting shot in the streets. It's why your, your neighborhood is not patrolled. Mine is. This doctrine is still here. It just got new laws. The message shifted. If you get a block party of white people, there won't be no problem. For the most part, if you get a block party of black people, you will see the difference. There is a huge difference the way police patrol us versus police patrol white people. Why? Because remember, there was never a reason to police white society. Police only existed to police black society. This is not a complaint. I'm just giving you the things. 1710, six out of seven people that came from the Atlantic were black. That's incredible. For 300 years, six out of seven people that came from the Atlantic from, from, from the Atlantic were black. Now, the reason I told well, let me give you one more thing. By 1710, they wanted to control all these black people. And the state of Virginia passed the Meritorious Manumissions Act. Meritorious, that's M-E-T-O-R-I-U-S, Manumission, M-A-N-U, and then Mission, one word, Act, which said, we will control black people by building an internal attitude in blacks to make them see everything through our eyes, to make them to make to make white skin superior and reward any black person that gets good at making white skin superior. Now the reason I brought that up to answer the one thing you said extremes always get punished. You're right. But only the difference between the difference between what you're saying and what is instituted, there's three things that made American slavery different. 
There's no other slavery but American slavery that did this. Number one, Africans were the only people in the world to ever be dehumanized. That's why we killed them in the streets. Number two, Africans were the only people ever to be federally barred from learning. Number three, the whole world benefited from African slavery. So when you said extremes get punished, you're right. Mm -hmm. The difference is the federal government, even today, and I'll get to that with another act, even mm -hmm. today, we get crushed federally, systematically, because we are black. And that's what I meant by if it's too anything but too black, we got a problem. Long answer, but I wanted to give those statistics so I don't get stoned to death by people who will be listening later. There you go. Well, I, I really hope nobody's listening with that intention for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty terrible. Hello, I'm Simon Whistler. You're watching Top Ten's Net, and in the video today, we're looking at the top ten lies you're told about American slavery. There are large groups of historical revisionists that have a vested interest in trying to downplay it or reshape it in a way that's more comfortable for their agendas. There are also some people that have grown up with an overly simplistic version of slavery and its current state. We here at Top Tens, we strive to do our small part to push back against both of these. Number 10. Abolitionism was a popular northern movement. The idea that Union armies marched with the intention of freeing slaves is integral to the romanticization of the American Civil War and the idolizing of Abraham Lincoln. It gave a long, grueling war a sense of purpose that was meant to help everyone feel better about the end result. It's also not really what the situation actually was like in the North. The New York Times reports that as recently as 1860, an abolitionist movement called the Liberty Party ran a candidate that didn't win a majority in a single county. The largest abolition newspaper in the country only had a circulation of around 3,000 at a time when the combined population of the northern states was more than 20 million. Even among the black population that joined the Union Army, the vast majority were former slaves recently freed by the army they joined. When the Emancipation Proclamation was signed in 1862, it led to a spike in desertions among Union troops, some of whom were explicit about how emancipation was the motivating factor. In brief, it could hardly have been said that the average soldier would have been moved by a speech about freeing slaves. Number 9. The American Civil War was not about slavery. In order to defend fetishizing the Confederate flag, or rather the Army of Northern Virginia's battle flag and other aspects of Americans' Confederate heritage, the lie has been spread that the Civil War was fought over the rights of states, not the freeing of slaves. There are a number of aspects that can be cited to support this claim, such as the fact that Lincoln himself denied that the war was about slavery in the early days, since, as said, many people in the North were opposed to the idea of fighting a war to end slavery. However, the Southern states all included in their declarations of causes for their rebellion that it was either the superiority of white races or the issue of slavery. South Carolina, the first state to secede, charged the North with the crime of elevating to citizenship persons who, by their supreme law of the land, are incapable of becoming citizens. Mississippi's called slavery the greatest material interest in the world. However, much as people today might try to muddy the waters, back then the motivation for the rebellion was crystal clear. Number 8. Slaves fought for the Confederacy 
When someone wants to claim that the American Civil War was about defending homes instead of slavery, more on this in a minute, they would be in line with the common revisionist rhetoric, which is to say that slaves and black people fought rank and file with their white associates. After all, who could deny the need for white people to defend their home state if even black people and slaves would set aside their differences for it? The problem is that for the longest time, the Confederate government, they wouldn't have it. All black people, even those freeborn, were bans from serving as soldiers in the Confederate armies for almost the entire war. They served as camp followers that had to cook and clean as slaves, but they were not permitted to take up arms. When the Confederacy tried desperately to create black regiments in 1865, it was with the offer of freedom instead of to defend the South, and it happened so late in the war that they were never able to see combat. Number 7. Slaves were rarely killed by labor. The logic of this one is pretty straightforward and seemingly sound. Since a slave is likely going to be expensive, it's in the best interest of the owner to treat them well to make sure they can get more years of relatively less grudging work out of them. Noam Chomsky described how a prevailing argument among slave owners was that industrial wage workers had it worse than a slave because we take care of our slaves, you only rent them. However, it wasn't an approach that actually appealed to slave owners going by the available information. A slave owner in Louisiana named Bennett T. Barrow was unremarkable in describing almost daily beatings and torture for slaves. Food and housing standards were generally minimal, as much as a show of power as a means of cutting costs. A slave cemetery discovered in 1997 showed that many slaves died before the age of 12, and of those that survived into adulthood, many had lesions in their bones where their labors literally wore away the muscles to the bone. It seems that for most people rich enough to own slaves at all, there was enough income that even expensive human labor was disposable. Number 6. Freed slaves took control of southern governments after the American Civil War. For a century, this lie was used in the South for policies designed to take away voting rights from black people. The narrative essentially boils down to how, after slaves were freed, they immediately began voting for politicians that were so vile that they had to be forcibly removed from office for the good of all, exemplified by the fact that the majority of the newly elected leaders were black. The landmark film, The Birth of a Nation from 1915, is basically devoted to this falsehood. The truth was that during the high points of African-American power, during the late 1860s, they only had a legislative majority in South Carolina. Other than that, it was much closer to Mississippi, where only 17% of elected legislators were black. What was actually happening was a wave of terror in the South where black people and sympathizers were being murdered basically en masse, particularly black servicemen. In Louisiana alone, in 1868, more than a thousand people were murdered for this reason. In short, the truth was much closer to the terrorism we mostly associate with the Middle East today being inflicted upon freed slaves. Number 5. Slaves were only owned by the wealthiest. As evidence that the average southern soldier didn't fight in the Civil War to defend the institution of slavery, it's put forth that the vast majority of them couldn't begin to afford a slave. The average price of a slave in 1860 was $800, which certainly sounds above the pay grade of a soldier making $11 a month, as the average Confederate private was when they first enlisted, so it sounds even more reasonable. However, you have to consider that among the people that fought for the southern armies, such as the Army of Northern Virginia, slave ownership was much more common than you think. One in ten soldiers owned slaves. Another 25% of the soldiers, who did tend to only be around the age of 26 and naturally wouldn't have saved up to buy their own, lived in slave-owning households. 
In the officer class, half were slave owners. That's not factoring in how many aspired to be slave owners, worked on plantations as overseers or related jobs, or the number who felt that keeping black people in chains was the proper order of things. If there were soldiers that fought only for states' rights, they were certainly not the overwhelming majority. Number 4. Even if the South won the Civil War, slavery would have ended shortly after. As part of the argument that the Civil War wasn't about slavery, some claim it was dying out on its own. For one thing, the fact that every major trading partner for the Confederacy had outlawed slavery is offered as a sign international pressure would have led to it being banned. Also, advances in technology would have allegedly made slavery obsolete. In fact, though, slavery was so profitable at the time that an average slave owner could expect a 100% return on their investment within 10 years, and considering the light costs, that meant each slave was almost pure profit for decades if they lived to even middle age for the time. Further, there's the fact that nearly a century later, Nazi Germany put millions of people into highly profitable slave labor. Even today, some countries still find a use for it. So, if the southern states had indeed become a separate nation, it would have meant a long time when millions of people lived and died as property. Number 3. The first slaves in America were white people. An argument used to downplay the atrocities of the slavery of black people in America is the claim that Irish immigrants were an overlooked group that also got enslaved. Irish people certainly were put into forced labor under the more sophisticated sounding label, indentured servitude, and well, doesn't that just show how phony and shallow the feelings of people opposed to slavery of black people are? Well, there were significant, immediate, tangible differences between indentured servants and slaves. Indentured servants still retained basic human rights, such as the fact neither they nor their children were designated property. It was contractually possible to get out of indentured servitude through labor, something no slave could help to get through anything more than their master's whim. Number 2. Slavery was a Southern Problem for the average American, the first instinct when the issue of slavery in America is brought up is to imagine a slave being worked to death on a plantation while the enlightened northern states were their only hope of freedom. It helps natives from those states feel their hands are much cleaner of the peculiar institution and allows unambiguous condemnation of the South as, well, just a bunch of racists. In truth, many northern states didn't merely tolerate southern slaveholding for a long time. There were also many active participants. Almost all the ships that brought slaves through the infamous Triangle trade originally set sail in New England, even well after it was banned in that region. Northern states also allowed slavery much later than history textbooks usually admit. In Pennsylvania, for example, there were still hundreds of black slaves in 1850, even though it had been banned under state law in 1780 because the gradual Abolition of Slavery Act allowed them to remain slaves until their 28th birthday. So the taint of slavery is much more prominent on northern states than a passing knowledge of history might indicate. Number 1. Slavery is illegal in America as a means to try and put the openly slave-friendly time behind them, revisionists that want to downplay slavery will mention that it became illegal more than 150 years ago, so why continue to claim that it's still important? Indeed, Steven Spielberg's biopic Lincoln treats the passing of the 13th Amendment to outlaw slavery as an unambiguous triumph. Unfortunately, as made clear in Ava DuVernay's documentary 13th, the 13th Amendment contains a loophole that allows people to be put into forced labor as a form of punishment for being convicted of a crime. While chattel slavery was outlawed by Franklin Roosevelt in the 1940s to prevent it being used for Japanese propaganda in World War II, the amendment, well, it's still in place. 
Duvernay's documentary also points out that 25% of all people that are incarcerated in the world are in the United States and thus vulnerable to being pressed into slavery. Indeed, in January of 2017, Sheriff Thomas Hodgson in Massachusetts offered local inmates as slave labor to help build the border wall with Mexico. So, I really hope you found that video interesting. If um, but, okay, so before I ask kind of like, I guess, the follow-up for that, there's a few different sure. things on that I want to clarify. Even if yeah, you probably like the got like 200 follow-ups from that. You probably got 200 <laughs> follow-ups from that. <laughs> no, I, I like John Nelson notes, you know, listening, hearing out yeah. your full point before I interject with anything but so um i guess starting on and this isn't something we have to stand very long but i just really want to talk about each point made so with dehumanizing people and the only people throughout all human history um you said yep. were you know blacks who were dehumanized i mean i i feel like that isn't necessarily an accurate statement clearly it's not um good that that happened like at all it's a terrible thing but i also feel sure. like you could talk about hitler and jews being dehumanized um just a whole bunch of, I, you, you know what I mean? So sure. I feel like it was terrible, but not the only one. Like I said, not like it makes a huge difference, just one thing. No, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. What happened to the Jews was atrocious. And I hope I didn't come off by thinking or, or communicating that that's, that was not, that was atrocious. That was. Yeah. And, and that's not the first time it happened. Once, once the, once the Christian faith got institutionalized, it, it, it was happening again. It was Jews that were getting persecuted by Christians, right? So this is this is something extremely terrible. The difference between that is it wasn't federally institutionalized. That was Hitler and his regime. Mm-hmm. The 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 as far as dehumanizing, it was federally mandated. Okay. That black Africans got dehumanized. Mm-hmm. For instance, I mean, you, the first thing you would do is you would castrate an African man or you would sodomize him to show that you're big and strong, but we just, you know, got you with a broomstick, right? Mm-hmm. Or anything like that. It's, it's one of the things that break, one of the things that got things so upset right now and, and, and the, the movement right now is at this point, you look at the camera. You look at the camera while killing a black person. And you look at the camera. And you still continue with it. Now think about that for a second, Gavin. Man, if you were, you know, I don't know, digging in your nose and you know a camera was on you, you're going to stop digging in your nose, right? That's you know what I'm saying? You're going to stop doing that. Once you know you're recorded, this is I mean, this happened with Eric Garner and all them stuff, stuff like that. None, none of this stuff is complaint, and I haven't interjected a single opinion yet. Mm-hmm. This is just what is what is we said. Oh, social media, we got stuff on camera now. It's going to change, but of course it didn't, right? Of course it didn't. So yeah, so yeah man, it's it, yeah the dehuman. You, it's hard to kill someone consistently if they're human. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to anybody. But you have to look at them differently. But there are every law. That's why I said that. I put out all those laws on purpose to let people know it has systematically been a dehumanization from 1638 on now. And and all my answers are going to be short now since you let me get all that out. (laughs) No, I feel like it's important to lay the framework, you know, in essence. And Mm -hmm. what I want to do before we kind of tackle, you know, the specific topics that are in today's society 
you know, with George Floyd and everything going on in that instance. I would love for you, I think the last um, statute or law that you brought up, I think was in, was it about the 1700s or am I inaccurate in saying Yeah, 1710 uh, was the very last one. Okay. So that was I, the Meritorious Manumission Act. Mm -hmm. And before we get into, you know, what we're all facing today, I think some more background info on the transition from that. And clearly you could talk hours on that one topic, but kind of the well, main now. things that the transition from then to now, the stuff that's still affecting, because what I see that's still prominently, um, I guess, having a big effect in communities is a lot of the housing and, you know, redlining and um, those okay. different. The mere fact you even know about redlining is brilliant. That tells me a lot about you. so white here look bad example ignore sweater dog people a tote bag full of kale you're killing me lady okay maybe this neighborhood is mostly too completely too insufferably white but that, that's just the way things are here it doesn't mean we're racist I'm sure you're not, Ron, but the fact that so many suburbs are mostly white is no accident. It's the result of decades of racist federal policy that affect us to this day. Look! Hooray, games! What the heck kind of game is this? It's Settlers of the Suburbs, Redlining Edition. Cool! Little Donovan, you be green. Ron, you're red. All right, red, just like the name. Looks like I've got the advantage. No, you don't. See, in the 1930s, as part of the New Deal, FDR created loan programs to help Americans finance their homes. But to decide who got those loans, the government created color-coded maps in which green neighborhoods were good and red neighborhoods were bad. This practice became known as redlining. Because of these policies, if you lived in the green neighborhoods, it was super easy to get a home loan. Right, I can buy property! But for folks in the red areas, no loans were available. I can barely afford rent with this. It's no fair, the red areas are screwed. Yeah, they were. And do you know why some areas were designated as red? No, but I can guess. Those were the neighborhoods where African Americans and other minorities lived, and redlining systematically prevented them from getting home loans. Well. I know what I'll do. Just take my little guy and put him in the green neighborhood. Sorry, that's against the rules. Early suburb developers like William Levitt instituted explicitly racist policies. Levittown homes must not be used or occupied by any person other than members of the Caucasian race. And the federal government itself encouraged developers to discriminate. Developers, I want you to exclude non-whites. The result of these policies is that from 1934 through 1968, a whopping 98% of home loans were given to white families. Yes. Okay, this, this is not fair. I did not get to pick what color I was when I started. Yeah, no one does. And this advantage compounded over time. The families in the green or white neighborhoods were able to purchase homes and accrue wealth. The market went up. I could sell my house and buy a bigger one. Whereas the people in the red neighborhoods got none of those opportunities. I can't afford property. I'm behind on my electric bill. In the green neighborhoods, the influx of new wealth attracted new businesses. Whoa! We got an organic grocery! Which caused property values to go up. 
which meant white families could sell their homes and send their kids to college. They grow up so fast. Passing down their wealth and advantages to future generations. Meanwhile, the red neighborhoods had far less ability to build wealth, and many remained trapped in poverty. This game is rigged. Yeah, it was. That's why laws were eventually passed that made most of these discriminatory practices illegal. Ah, ah great! Ah, finally, I can move, and I don't have enough money. Exactly. Without wealth, families in the red neighborhoods couldn't afford to move up, keeping these communities separated by race. Today, 70 years after Levittown was created, it's still less than one percent black. <laughs> I may be dead, but the effect of my racism lives on. And if the neighborhoods are segregated, that means the schools are too. What? It, no, no, that that can't be true. We ended school segregation back in the '60s. Sorry, Ron, but I'm afraid that's not true. Ron, this is Nicole Hannah Jones. She's a New York Times investigative reporter who covers civil rights issues, including school and housing segregation. Nicole, would you mind telling Ron what most people get wrong about segregation? People tend to think of segregation as an archaic term for Jim Crow policies that led to the civil rights movement. But the truth is that black children are more segregated in schools now than at any time since the 1970s. And in the U.S., schools are largely funded by property taxes. Since property values in the white neighborhoods are so much higher, their schools get way more money to spend on things like facilities, teachers, and supplies. On the other hand, predominantly black and Latino schools are massively underfunded. They're less likely to have AP, science, and math courses, and they're the least likely to have experienced and qualified teachers. The truth is. Little Donovan doesn't just go to the best school; he goes to a segregated school.、Uh, no, no, no. This is a direct result of decades of redlining policies enacted by our own government to build the suburbs. Highways that were built to make access to the suburbs easier for white Americans were often run right through black middle-class neighborhoods, destroying them. People in the past were the worst. It's not just the past. Banks still regularly charge black homebuyers. Higher rates on loans than they do white home buyers, even when they have the same credit. Worst of all, black and Latino home seekers still experience four million incidents of illegal housing discrimination every year. But I mean, I didn't do any of that stuff. I- I'm not racist, and I worked hard to get this house. Of course, but without realizing it, you've also gotten a leg up from America's history of racist housing policies. The suburb you live in was built on a foundation of segregation, and we can't close our eyes to that. I mean, I, it's it's weird because I don't like these topics because I don't like negativity, but I feel like they just have to be tackled in order to move forward. So I want to educate myself on more of that stuff. But I I, I want to know what you know is still basically today. What is because、yep. all this you know is an attitude over time, but times have changed clearly, and I know you know that. And I just can、yep. imagine a lot of listeners listening to what we've talked about and saying that was terrible. We all agree with that. But what is still impacting today's society? You know、gotcha. that was set up. First off,、uh, to all your listeners, and thank you for even and giving me opportunity to to answer these questions. And and I say this with a bleeding heart. Everything I said is still relevant today, but I'll give you more. Like these、mm-hmm. are still relevant and happening today. Let's start off with 
redlining, gerrymandering, you know, the fact that a, a, a elected official then draws the district of people they want voting for them to both secure the seats and then to only represent who they want to represent, right? That's automatically happening today. Gerrymandering is something happening today. Redlining is still happening today. Can Red you break down gerrymandering that? a little more? Because I actually don't know what that is. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. No, it's so all gerrymandering. So, you want to know what gerrymandering is? First, let's start with Government 101. In the United States, each state elects a certain number of representatives based on the state's population. The larger your population, the more representatives you have. Each representative represents a district or a geographical area including its voters. Ideally, we want to have a range of representatives who reflect the political views of the population across the state. But how do we decide who gets to vote for each representative? Let's look at an example. Suppose we have a very tiny state of 50 people. 30 of them belong to the Blue Party and 20 belong to the Red Party. And just our luck, they all live in a nice even grid with blues on one side of the state and reds on the other. Now, let's say we need to divide the state into five districts. Each district will send one representative to the House to represent the people. Fortunately, because our citizens live in a neatly ordered grid, it's easy to draw five lengthy districts, two for the reds and three for the blues. Voila! Perfectly proportional representation, just as the founders intended. Now, let's say instead that the blue party controls the state government, and they get to decide how the lines are drawn. Rather than draw districts horizontally, they draw them vertically, so that in each district there are six blues and four reds. With a comfortable blue majority in the state, each district elects a blue candidate to the house. The blues win five seats, and the reds don't get a single one. Oh well! Finally, what if the Red Party controls the state government? The Reds know they're at a numerical disadvantage, but with some creative boundary drawing, they can slice the blue population up such that they only get a majority in two districts. So despite making up 40% of the population, the Reds win 60% of the seats. Not bad. This process of redrawing district lines to give an advantage to one party over another is called gerrymandering, and it's nothing new. The term gerrymander is named after early 19th century Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry, who redrew the map of the Senate's districts in 1810 in order to weaken the opposing Federalist Party. Our example is, of course, a huge simplification. In the real world, people don't live in neatly ordered grids sorted by political party. But for politicians looking to give themselves an advantage at redistricting time, the process is exactly the same, and the consequences are very real. Gerrymandering is at least partly to blame for lopsided representation in the House seen in recent elections. And, it's been argued by the President, for political polarization, since representatives don't have to compromise hardline views in order to win seats. That's not democracy. That's, that's payocracy. So when you said the stuff that's happening today, you're right, times have changed, but the laws have not. So let me give you another preamble. There's only four ways to survive in America. Whether you're black, white, Jew, or Gentile, there's only four ways to survive in America. Way number one, you work, period. Way number two, you go and get on welfare, period. Way number three, you steal or become a criminal. And then there's a hidden one. I'll save that for a second. So that means you work. Now, the problem with that is, Everyone, Gavin, is on a new type of slavery. It's called debt slavery. But the truth is, they'll keep you in the middle class. They'll, they'll give you $150,000 of student loans before the time you're 22 because the whole point is to keep you in slavery. 
It's just debt slavery. When we was in American slavery, right? When my ancestors were in American slavery, it was, okay, I'll feed you Antonio. I'll feed you grandfather Antonio and I'll house you. Now it's different. Now they're saying, Gavin, you house you and you feed you, but run me my money, right? Mm -hmm. Stay in debt <laughs> and you'll retire when you're 65 with about, you know, just enough. But by the time you're 75, go work at Walmart, be a door greeter, right? Mm -hmm. that's, that's that debt slavery thing to be fair to everyone. Now, the, here's the hidden thing. They don't want you working, or if they lay you off, then they'll lay two of me off. Like, you just saw that. There's 43 million Americans that just lost their job in the number one economy in the world in the last nine weeks, 10 weeks now. So then you go on welfare. But what does everybody do? Every, it doesn't matter, blue or red, every president, every, excuse me, every Congress, they all do the same thing. They reform welfare. You heard that before. That's what they do. They don't want you on welfare. So what do they want you? They want you to be a criminal. So whether you be a criminal, if you can't, if you can't survive in work, and if you don't have the, the gumption to survive in work, you go welfare, the reform welfare, they push you to criminal, because here's the thing. They want you back in jail. Now, in my case, they want us in jail. This is not an opinion. Let me give it to you. So you survive. You move from level one. Then you go to level two, which is welfare. Then you go to level three, which is stealing. Then you become jail the 13th amendment did not outlaw slavery it says slavery still exists if you commit a crime now you want to know what's happening today our boy who we love bill clinton he privatized prison with the omnibus crime act today the bickering stops the era of excuses is over the law-abiding citizens of our country have made their voices heard never again should Washington put politics and party above law and order? From this day forward, let us put partisanship behind us and let us go forward, Democrats, Republicans, and independents, law enforcement, community leaders, ordinary citizens. Let us roll up our sleeves to roll back this awful tide of violence and reduce crime in our country. We have the tools now. Let us get about the business of using them. Right. Another name for that is Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act. It's written about 1994. It's the, it's the reason why 90% or 70 or 80% of the American population of prisons is black people. It's simple. They privatize it. This is what that means. You, go, you get hard on criminals. And then if you own a jail, you get $82,000 for every jail cell that you build, $82,000. And for every prisoner, you get $27,000. Gavin, please hear me. If you got one jail with two prisoners, that's over six figures. The reason why the prison industry is billions and billions and billions of dollars, because a bill that was written 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. is now a six-figure purse. So if you got a... This is why prisons aren't... They're all, not owned by the states for the most part. They're owned by private people. Mm -hmm. And of course, you got six figures per person, per, per sale, and you got 3,000 sales. And who do you put in there? You put me in there. So, you know, with all due respect to anybody, the system is... We always need to have a labor force. That's why I wanted to explain that earlier. What is the labor force? It is unearned income. 
That's how all word powers are built. So now you got prisons. They don't just make license plates. They put out construction companies. Put them out of business because you're paying pennies on the dollar. We're unearned labor. So they figured out after the civil rights movement, what do we do with 37 million black folks? All right, you just put them back in jail, unearned labor. Nothing I've said, ladies and gentlemen, is an opinion. That is what's going on in the full conclusion and answer to your beautiful question. That's happening right now today. Adam, you got me into this? No, you get me out. I promise, I have someone working on it. But in the meantime, this is a great opportunity to explain why our nation's prison system is a failure on every level. (laughs) So you know a lot about prison? I bet you watch a lot of PBS documentaries, huh? I guess you're right. I do like first-hand knowledge. Oh, maybe you could help me do this episode? Sure. Nothing better to do. Whoa. Do you have magic TV powers like Adam? Nope. But I got a lot of favors. Early lunch today. Early lunch today, everyone. America's prison system is a total mess. Whatever purpose you think it serves, it ain't doing it. Well, the point of prison is to reduce crime. Definitely not doing that. There are 2.2 million people incarcerated in the U.S., 10 times more than 50 years ago. Two million is more than the population of some states. Welcome to Mass Incarceration, Massachusetts. Our primary export? Shivs. Our secondary export? God. Hey! That's contraband! But despite this massive increase in the prison population, a study conducted by the NYU School of Law found that the effect on the crime rate has been essentially zero. Zero? Then why do we lock so many people up? Well, I can't speak for all prisons, but this one is here to make money. Make money? You mean someone is profiting from all this? Yep, these guys are. It all started in the tough-on-crime 80s, when the war on drugs meant state and federal prisons were bursting at the seams. So many prisoners, what do we do? Let corporate America handle your prisons. We'll take care of everything, save you a few bucks, and skim a little off the top. Well, businesses running prisons? That sounds a little fishy. (laughs) Just kidding. I mean, hey, if it saves money, right? (laughs) And so the Corrections Corporation of America, or CCA, was born. Okay, hold on. You can't just sell prisons like they're cars or real estate or hamburgers. Then why don't you tell that to Tom Beasley, the co-founder of CCA, who once said, you just sell prisons like you were selling cars or real estate or hamburgers. CCA, can I take your order? I'll have a number seven with uh, extra solitary cells, electric fence, and a uh, small onion ring. Like to supermax that? Yeah, I'll supermax it. And they rake in a ton of scratch. Last year, CCA took in $1.7 billion. Business is so good, it's criminal. <laughs> Well, you know, maybe it's okay because they're saving the taxpayer money. (laughs) Sorry, the sales pitch was wrong. The data shows that private prisons cost the taxpayers just as much as regular prisons. And today, nearly one-fifth of federal prisoners are held in a for-profit facility. Okay, no! Ah, graffiti! That's an infraction. A beautiful one. Are you Banksy? Oh my gosh, I already got an infraction? I must give out a lot of these. Oh yeah, that's not a coincidence. One study showed that private prisons dole out twice as many infractions as government prisons. Not having enough infractions. That's an infraction. These penalties can lengthen your sentence, which earns the company even more cash. Oh, so the more people that are in prison, the more money they make. 
Ooh, that's dirty. Yep, that's why private prisons sneak occupancy clauses into their contracts, which actually require states to keep prisons full. Last year, a private prison in Arizona didn't make their 97% capacity quota. So the state government had to pay them a $3 million fine. Fines like that incentivize cash-strapped states to keep people in prison as long as possible. Your parole forms are in order, and you've been a model prisoner. So we're going to <clears throat> lock you back up. We really can't afford to pay another fine. That's reprehensible. Look, not all prisons are private prisons, but this one is. So no, its purpose isn't to stop crime. It's the dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> can't believe all this has been happening, and I didn't even know. I mean, I've never really thought about prison, like, at all. Hey, pulling back the curtain on our disturbing business practices, that's an infraction. Hey, that makes three infractions. You're going to go to solitary. Okay, that doesn't sound so bad. You know, peace and quiet, do some meditation. No, solitary confinement is a cruel and inhumane punishment that has no place in modern society. Wait, what? Uh, we'll tell you about it after you get settled in the hole. No, tell me now! Okay, so that actually was insightful for me in the sense of I guess how the prison system works with uh, private prisons because I didn't know too much about that when I mean but here's where the disconnect still is for me um with that being said to I guess correct me if I'm wrong on with this statement before I move on are you saying that there's an agenda to fill prisons with more black people that is a hundred percent written down facts. That's not an opinion. That is facts. Mass incarceration means that we've got a very high rate of incarceration historically, comparatively. And the other thing is the rate of incarceration is so high, so socially concentrated, that we're no longer incarcerating the individual, but we're incarcerating whole social groups. The rate of incarceration now is about five times higher than it was historically. Historically it was 100 per 100,000, now it's about 500 per 100,000. If we look at prison, if we add jail to that, it's about 700 per 100,000. Nowhere in the world incarcerates as much as we do. We've seen extremely high rates of exposure to the criminal justice system for African American men with very low levels of schooling. So if we think about black men who were born in the late 1970s and who were growing up through the American prison boom of the 1980s and the 1990s, the chances that they're going to serve time in state or federal prison if they dropped out of high school is about 70%. So going to prison for that group of black men with very low levels of schooling, that's become a normal life event. And that's really only happened in the last 10 years. We're at this point now where there's about 1.2 million African-American children with a parent who's incarcerated. That's about one in nine. The research shows the kids who experience parental incarceration have diminished school achievement, they have behavioural problems, depressive symptoms, acting out. And there's also evidence that these kinds of negative effects associated with parental incarceration are concentrated more among boys than among girls. And there's a very real risk here that incarceration becomes an inherited trait. The underlying issue is we've chosen prison as a way to respond to that problem of crime. And there are a whole variety of ways that we could have chosen 
to respond to that problem of crime. We've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty, and we've chosen the response of the deprivation of liberty for a historically aggrieved group whose liberty in the United States was never firmly established to begin with. I want you to think about all the stupid stuff you did when you were 16. Just think about that. I want you to think about how there's no difference between how the, the, the amount of white people who do drugs and the amount of black people who do drugs. There is no difference. There's no difference whatsoever. It is no different why, this also explains Mr. Floyd. There's no difference. But black people or people of color get arrested 75% more. Even the, the search and frisk, even the search yeah. and frisk, right? In New York, this is what happens. It's, it's, it's super simple. You get a pass. Okay, go, go home. Y'all be safe. But the plan is, this is not an opinion. We get in trouble at 16, charged with a felony. Now we can't be competitive in the workforce at 22. Yeah. You know more black people with backgrounds than you know white people young because it's designed that way. But you don't have mm -hmm. to believe any of that. Ask yourself, where do police patrol? Not you. Like when I say yourself, second person plural. Mm -hmm. Where do police patrol more often? It's simple. Because we don't have any money for lawyers. We're low-hanging fruit. If you, want to, if you want to get promoted to detective, right, get your cases up with us. If you want to be a lawyer and get to DA, get your, your, your prosecution rate, right, up with us. Because we can't fight with money we, we take plea that's why plea deals even exist that's why the bail bondsmen even exist it is to it is unfair it's to keep that system going none of this brother has been an opinion by antonio theodore smith mm -hmm. jr and it kills me just talking about it. it breaks my heart talking about it none of this is an opinion by me it's what's happening look our current bail system makes no sense and it does a lot of harm. And the frustrating thing is, we've known this for a long time. Just watch this TV news special from 1964. Yes, the jails are bursting at the seams. A problem of great concern to New York City Commissioner of Correction, Anna Cross. Remaining in jail because you can't get bail is really being punished before you're even found guilty. As far as I was concerned, that was not just. That was destroying our concept of justice. That's right. This problem has been obvious since it was considered okay to wear a wastebasket on your head. George Floyd. Prosecutors say Officer Derek Chauvin had his knee on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds, including 2 minutes and 53 seconds after Floyd had become unresponsive. This man, it's a nonviolent crime. Just period. It doesn't matter. Right? It just doesn't mm -hmm. matter. But what happens is you got more people of color, black men specifically, in prison for nonviolent crimes. Nonviolent crimes. But that's what's populating the prison right now. So yeah, that's not a, that's not an opinion by me. That's hard yeah. evidence facts. Yeah. Okay. So with that being said, oh, one more thing. And the war on drugs did that the most. Yeah. The mandatory yes. minimums. That's another fact. The mandatory minimums for getting caught with. Two ounces of crack put you in jail for 22 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Crazy. I feel like probably a lot of listeners can agree on that point that 
a lot of drug laws. Um, and that, I guess the crime doesn't necessarily match the, the punishment for a lot of those. And Which is against the Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution. True. It sure, is, the Eighth true. Amendment of the United States Constitution says there's no unreasonable and unusual punishment. Mm-hmm. But the Thirteenth Amendment says that you're a slave. It's, it's in there, I swear to you. The Thirteenth Amendment says you're a slave and slaves are not protected by the Constitution. Yeah, we should... I should pull that up in a bit because I actually, I mean, I've never even thought about that because I'd like to see where it is in there. But before we do that, before we move on to Floyd, one thing that, so here's kind of how I always thought about this. And tell me if Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, because you've laid out a lot of different points. I want to hear where it goes. But I always thought, you know, um, with the basically, you know, the scenarios that a lot of black communities are in, there's not a lot of money in those communities. And when there's not a lot of money, and this is done, you know, through different systems over time, why the majority of that is like my grandparents are very well off. Many um, black people, their grandparents aren't. Some are, but the majority aren't just because of, you know, how the times have changed and a lot of different um, things, which hopefully over time that will, you know, mitigate. Um, But I feel like, a lot of where I guess arrests come from are from people who are in bad economic situations, who resort to you know basically crime to try to get out of that, or they're just brought up in this whole you know situation where they have crime because of all these um, I guess poor economics, and then they I mean you grow up seeing people make money through drugs, seeing people um, yep. you know, whatever they have to do to survive, make money for their family. And I mean, that's just kind of your life at that point. And that's why I feel like a lot more um, cities, you know, that have low poverty, it has nothing to do with race per se, but well, it does in the back, I guess the history behind it, but current dates, it doesn't have to do with race. I wouldn't say it's more about the economic situation and the crime goes up in those cities and that's where the police go. And I want to hear, I guess, if you think that's wrong, right? Like, Nah, you're not. You're not wrong. You're in the other America. You're not wrong, brother. You ain't said nothing wrong at all. Three things. Let's start back from your grandfather is well off. Yes, he is, and he deserves to be. But Bank of America did that. You you named it earlier. Redlining. Mm-hmm. The middle class became wealthy and millionaires. Or you went to school without student loans because you got prime mortgages the best rates Mm -hmm. the best real estate that would appreciate over time and your grandfather has a seven-figure net worth because of the house that he owns we were not afforded housing or the ability to own property this is so important that's why that's why i want to sell that stuff earlier that when i said the number one problems remember i said earlier very early i said there's two things that's happening you need wealth that's going to create wealth you need a labor force and then we can't get a labor force. We don't own the resources. And if everything mm-hmm. else systematically flows from that, your grandfather owns resources. My grandfather did not. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way housing segregation works in America, you can see how things ended up this way. Once you see it, you won't be able to unsee it. Okay, let's look at MLK Boulevard in Baltimore. I want to show you how to see housing segregation in schools, in health, in family wealth, in policing. But first, an explanatory comma. 
It's the 1930s in the wake of the Great Depression, FDR's president. He wants to bring economic relief to millions of Americans through a collection of federal programs and projects called the New Deal. One part of that New Deal was the National Housing Act of 1934, which introduced ideas like the 30-year mortgage and low fixed interest rates. So now you have all these lower income people who can afford homes, but how do you make sure they don't default on their new mortgages? Enter the Homeowners Loan Corporation. The HOLC created residential security maps, and these maps, they're where the term redlining comes from. Green meant best area, best people, aka businessmen. Blue meant good people like white collar families. Yellow meant a declining area with working class families. And red meant detrimental influences, hazardous like foreign born people, low class whites, and most significantly, Negroes. Again and again on these HOLC maps, one of the most consistent criteria for redline neighborhoods is the presence of black and brown people. Let's be clear, studies show that people who lived in redlined areas were not necessarily more likely to default on their mortgages, but redlining made it difficult, if not impossible, to buy or refinance. So landlords abandon their properties, city services become unreliable, in most places crime increases, and property values drop. All of these conditions fester for 30 years as white people flee to the brand new suburbs popping up all over the country. Many of those suburbs institute rules called covenants that explicitly forbid selling homes to black people. And all of this was perfectly legal. Now it's 1968 and MLK is assassinated. Good evening. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, 39 years old. of nonviolence in the civil rights movement has been shot. Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis. In the aftermath, Congress passes the Fair Housing Act of 1968. It's a policy meant to encourage equal housing opportunities, regardless of race or religion or national origin, and it offers protections for future homeowners and renters. But it does little to fix the damage already done. Over the next 50 years, the Fair Housing Act is rarely enforced. So you can still see housing segregation and its effects in Baltimore and often along any MLK Boulevard in any U.S. city like its effects on wealth. So home ownership is the major way Americans create wealth, right? Well, discrimination in housing is the major reason that black families, up and down the income scale, have a tiny fraction of the family wealth that white families do, even white families with less education and lower incomes. For almost 30 years, 98% of FHA loans were handed out to white borrowers. Not only were black neighborhoods redlined, and not only was the Fair Housing Act selectively enforced, if at all, but it is still today much harder for a black person to get a mortgage or home loan than it is for a white person. Families are fearful of speaking up about a basic human right that should be afforded to everyone in the world, but definitely in the richest country in the world. And housing segregation in schools. The primary way that Americans pay for public schools is by paying property taxes. People who live in more valuable homes have better funded local schools, better paid teachers, better school facilities, and more resources. Here's a feedback loop. The better the schools in a neighborhood, the more those homes in that neighborhood are worth. And the higher the property values of those homes, the more money there is for schools, and so on and so on. And housing segregation in health. 
Because of urban planning that benefited those richer, wider neighborhoods, people of color are more likely to live near industrial plants that spew toxic fumes. They're more likely to live far away from grocery stores with fresh food and in places where the water isn't drinkable. They're more likely to live in neighborhoods with crumbling infrastructure and in homes with toxic paint. When you're living with rats, roaches, and things like that, that's the problem. You cannot have that kind of stuff with children running around in a building, a building that may be full of lead. And not coincidentally, people of color have higher incidences of certain cancers, asthma, and heart disease. And housing segregation in policing. Housing segregation means we are having vastly different experiences with crime and vastly different experiences with policing. Because our neighborhoods are so segregated, sometimes racial profiling can be camouflaged as spatial profiling, where living in certain areas can make you more likely to be stopped by the police And it means that people have a lot of unnecessary contact with the criminal justice system just because of where they live. The problem in our city, the police and the citizens are fighting. They keep targeting my brothers and sisters who don't really have nothing. And that heavy, aggressive kind of policing that you see in black neighborhoods in particular makes people feel like they can't trust the police. And when people don't trust the police, crimes go unsolved and people have to find other ways to keep themselves safe. But of course, it's not just Baltimore, because housing segregation and discrimination fundamentally shape the lives of people in nearly every major American city. It really is in everything. To hear more about how race shapes American life, visit npr.org slash codeswitch. I'm Gene Demby. Be easy. So the natural appreciation of your grandfather's property put him in a different place. Nothing wrong with that. At no point should he feel guilty for that. Mm -hmm. No one's asking. And man, I love this. It's real hard for me to talk about because it makes me want to cry every time. No one's asking white people to give up your white power. Nobody's asking that. Nobody's asking white people to give up your privilege. As a matter of fact, it's actually quite forgiving of black people because we're not asking for revenge because we can do that. What we're asking for is equality or the resources mm-hmm. so we can go back to what we used to be in this country. Because believe me, after Jim Crow, we had a black Wall Street on that, right? So the reason why we are this way and the you know your grandfather's good because it was designed that way brother the banks yeah. the same banks that got bailouts is the same banks who drew red lines that you know about mm-hmm. which leads to your second point you are so right when you say it's not a it's not a race thing it's a poverty thing but who's in poverty those yeah. same loan lender mm-hmm. drew us into poverty they didn't draw your descendants into poverty they drew Mm -hmm. us into poverty so one does relate to the other you feel what i'm saying brother? yeah yeah and that's that's what i'm getting to when i tried to say like it isn't race but i'm like well it kind of is because of that back set up to it you know what i mean um so this i don't want to spend too much time on this next question uh, because it's looking forward but i'm just wondering looking forward then do you think you know now that there, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but now that a lot of these uh, 
basically systems that were set up to, you know, redline, you know, impoverished communities, which are majority black because, you know, years ago they couldn't get uh, really good mortgages and whatnot and kind of cycled down. Do you think that will mitigate over time now that there is... No, it won't. Lack of that? It can't. No, it, it won't mitigate. You mentioned something earlier. According to CNNBC or CNN, one of those, by 2050, black people will have zero wealth. Zero by 2050. The system is just designed because remember, the times have changed. Gavin doesn't think like Gavin's descendants. That mm -hmm. doesn't mean that the laws have changed. And here's what normally happens to my white brothers and sisters as they continue to get older. You get older and then you get stuff and then you get tired of working and then you write laws to protect yourself from not having to work. And those laws protect your people and not the people coming for wealth as well. Mm -hmm. Right? That's, that's literally, it happens every single day. It won't change. And the only reason it will, the only way it will change is three ways. And nobody likes to talk about either of them until white people are affected. I'll give them to you. First off, y'all hate socialism. But the last nine weeks of American history, socialism was real hot, wasn't it? Right? Yeah. The whole $1,200 stimulus check, $2,400. You hated socialism during the Great Depression. Like, like, think about this. The, the Great Depression, 1929, about 34, you keep on going. Hey, we like literally told the whole world, stop, help our white people. This is what we did. This is what, it's what we did. You went into manufacturing. You went, the, the car makers started making bullets and everybody got out. Black folks say, can we get something? They say, oh, no, the government don't work like that. It's a double standard. It's a double standard when, when if, if black folks say, give us reparations, now, now, and I'm not necessarily arguing for that, but then I can make a strong argument for that. Oh, the government don't work like that. But you just got reparations nine weeks ago, right? You just got socialism. You hate Bernie Sanders until you need it. Right? This doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. So the main point there is very simple. It won't change until people like you use your white power, use your white privilege to change the laws. The yeah. only other way to change that is to do reverse what you did. If I'm sitting in a garage and you forced the car in there, you can't say, move the car. I don't have the keys. Well, push the car. But you got cinder blocks on it. But do something. No, the only way that you get to move the car out of the garage is you get yourself in the garage because you own it and you back it out the garage. Equality mm -hmm. must be manipulated. I'm strong. I have the right and the privilege, but the responsibility to help the weak. Last thing I'll say, and I said this to my private network, which is pretty much mostly white. I'm going to tell all y'all this. While I fight for my people, I'm a warrior. Period, point blank. You'll have, you have to kill me before you ever tase me. For sitting in my car like I just seen a couple. You had to kill me. I would be on the news like this guy resisted. You're going to have to kill me if you ever think that I'm going to sit down and be a good slave. It's not going to work that way. At the same time, Gavin, you let me be walking down the street and four white men, excuse me, four, four men of any color, doesn't matter, are raping a white woman. 
you're going to have to kill me because I'll be damned if I go home and let that woman get raped. I'm dying that day or the men who are raping that white woman are dying that day. But either way, brother, you got to kill me because there's no way in hell that I'm going home knowing that this woman got raped. See, I got that power. I got these muscles. I have that warrior spirit and I have a responsibility to make sure that white woman does not get raped, even if it's at the risk of my own life. It's the only way it's ever going to change. People in power got to either risk their reputations mm-hmm. or risk their lives to fix the situation. Now, I, th- I think um, especially the analogy of kind of the car in the garage was a really good way to lay it out. It, it kind of, you know, analogies are always helpful, but that that's a <laughs> very good way to do so. And I mean, one, so I, one thing I want to verbally say, just so that way I kind of hold us both accountable to come back to it, but I want to transition. That's right, stuff. But I want to come back to some of the laws, you know, especially around like eviction and whatnot, because I've actually looked into that. And I feel like that's a big kind of thing that keeps people in a cycle of poverty. Um, that's fair. But I, I would love to transition now to the recent event that happened with George Floyd and yeah. how that event, you know, what the problems are and then what the outcome of that to either the problems you have with it, the things you agree with, disagree with. Because yeah. personally, um, there was different opinions that I definitely had on that. And I want to bounce them back and forth with you because I think that we may differ on those opinions. And I want to understand why you think, you know, the, the different reasons for the sides that you take um, on different topics that, you know, recently well, came out. Yeah, I'll just I'll just point out current events and then walk you backwards to events as to keep my opinion out of it until it's time for me to insert my opinion. Mm-hmm. Let's start backwards to today. As of today, there's a new narrative about Brother Floyd that he was no hero. So you hear that from Candace Brown, no, Candace Owens, excuse me, and, a, and Fox News is pushing this narrative, right? First off, there's a couple of things wrong with this. For one, nobody said that. That's, that's not our narrative. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Two, it's a nonviolent crime. But three, and this is painful to hear, why do white people determine who heroes are? That's crazy. It's so silent and so subtle. But if you're a hero, you got to get your hand raised by the dominant culture. That's mm-hmm. insane. That's insane. That's insane when you think about that, working backwards. Most of my white brothers and sisters have already forgotten George Floyd. Brother Floyd was the straw that broke the camel's back. Just a week before, it was Brother Ahmad. See the man there jogging down the road? That's Ahmad Arbery. And in a little over 30 seconds, he'll lay dying in the street. The camera is jostled around as Arbery approaches a stopped truck and tries to run around it. But a shot is fired as he's confronted by two armed men, leading to a struggle. It moves in and out of the camera's view. The 25-year-old is hit and collapses. He was out for his daily jog, and he was hunted down like an animal and killed. 
The killing has sparked protests and demands for arrests. Justice was not given in this case and that we've got to correct it and correct it immediately. The two men from the truck are white, a retired police officer and his son, who told investigators Arbery looked like a local robbery suspect, so they grabbed a couple of guns and followed him. They're claiming their actions were in self-defense. Authorities are promising to bring the new evidence before a grand jury to see if charges are warranted, but there are calls for police to act now. Shot on camera. Mm -hmm. Shot on camera for running. Just a week before that, it was Sister Brianna Taylor, who was in her house. Shot in her house. The Kentucky family is demanding answers today in the death of a frontline healthcare worker who was killed during a police raid two months ago today. Rihanna Taylor's family is suing three Louisville police officers after the 26-year-old woman was shot and killed in her apartment. Now, officials say this incident back in March was tied to a drug investigation where police were searching for someone else. As our national correspondent, Jerika Duncan, reports, Taylor's mother claims gross negligence took her daughter's life. Brianna loves life, and she loves to help people, and she loved a family. She didn't deserve what they did to her. Tamika Palmer is Brianna Taylor's mother. The 26-year-old was an EMT working in emergency rooms at two hospitals and helping respond to the coronavirus outbreak. I was more concerned with her washing her hands than dying at home. But just after midnight on March 13th, police shot Taylor at least eight times, killing her in the apartment she shared with her boyfriend, Kenneth Walker. Officers knocked on the door several times and announced their presence as police who were there with a search warrant. The officers forced entry into the exterior door and were immediately met by gunfire. Louisville Metro Police say the officers were part of a narcotics investigation and opened fire after Walker shot first. They're now on administrative reassignment pending the results of an internal investigation. The lawsuit against the officers claims the suspect they were searching for was already in custody. Taylor's family alleges the officers wearing plain clothes did not identify themselves and that Walker, a registered gun owner, was shooting at men he believed were breaking in. Walker is now charged with first-degree assault and attempted murder of a police officer. They thought they were being burglarized. Does the Second Amendment not apply to African Americans? Attorney Ben Crump joined Breonna Taylor's case this week. He is also representing the family of Ahmaud Aubrey, who was shot dead in February while on a run in his Georgia neighborhood. This was a completely unnecessary and justifiable killing of an innocent woman. For CBS This Morning, Jerika Duncan. And your heart goes out of that family. They're looking for answers as to how their daughter was killed, and we hope they get them. You get what I'm going? Like, no matter mm-hmm. what, we don't get a break. And if you think there's a break, then I humbly ask all of the black people listening, the white people listening, anybody that is of any ethnic group listening, when is the last time you saw somebody white down on Facebook? It's a real question. It's a real question. Why can I? Go ahead, bro. Go ahead. Yeah, I was. I was. I want to play devil's advocate here too, because I feel sure. like a lot of times when I hear that question brought up, a lot of times I hear the answer of you know, well, the media circles around a lot more of black crime than you know if something bad happens to a white person. Um, just Fair be, enough. And 
I, I want to hear, I guess, kind of like what you think about that. Because I actually do think that there's some truth to that um, and the extent. And sure. I mean, I have a few statistics we can dive into later, but some of them support sure. that, you know, so that, that yeah, may have no. truth to it. No, that's first off, you, you, you're doing a fantastic. I, I don't even understand how you're even comfortable asking these questions. Right. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even like you're just you're, you're risking more than me asking these questions. Right. Let's just let's so everybody listening. I'm not under pressure. Gavin is under pressure. OK, so please know that it's the truth. It, it is the truth. We call the spade a spade. You're risking far more than, than I'm risking because I don't have power to risk nothing. Right. We'll come back to that later. Essentially, what the hell is black crime? That's propaganda. That doesn't make sense. It's, it's the mere fact that somehow that is the truth. It just doesn't make sense. Because in India, it's Indian crime. You kill or you crime with what's next to you. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no mathematical, scientific, any, any reputable school of thought. There's not a single place on planet Earth that is going to tell you that people don't kill what's next to them or people don't rob what's next to them. Hell, in a marriage, that'll be spousal crime. I hurt your feelings today, right? <laughs> right? You don't say spousal crime, spousal hurt. You just say spousal abuse. Of course, if there's nothing, I didn't meet white people until I joined the army at 18. If you was white in my neighborhood, you was a cop or you was the insurance man selling my grandmother some insurance policy she really didn't need. Mm-hmm. It's the only time. I had to join the army to get cross-pollinated in culture. That's the agenda. The agenda is you see a black man, that black man must be going to jail or from jail. So at this time, I'm going to make this super simple. I'm not going to say nothing I said. There's a lady named Jane Elliott. She's from Riceville, Iowa. Her name mm-hmm. is Jane Elliott. She is, okay, she's a school teacher, yeah. anti, anti-racist. All right, cool. And I'm sure many people hate her. I'm going to just quote her because just, it just is what it is. She says, all white people are racist. You say that all whites are racist. Can you ex- expound on that, please? Any, any white person who was born, raised, and schooled in the United States of America, if you aren't a racist, you're a miracle. Either that or you decided to educate yourself. Because education in this country is about white is right, brown's all right, black's got to stand back. Yellow's mellow, but whites, we, we educate in a way that says that white males have done all the adventures, have made all the adventures, have done all the discovering, have made all, and everything that is good and has been accomplished has been accomplished according to social studies, which is actually anti-social studies, by white males. It's a lie. But we do that in order to maintain the myth of white superiority. The myth of race has to be maintained at all costs in this country. Because if white people have to give up the color of their skin as being something that makes them perfect, what do they have left? If we start teaching the truth about history, if we start teaching about Nile Valley contributions to civilization, it will totally change the way we conduct ourselves in the classroom. It will have to. Columbus didn't discover America. You can't discover a place where people are already living. But we celebrate that every October. It's a lie. We need to get over we we need to stop telling the myths and start telling the truth. So when you tell people that they're racist, 
and it, it must have some kind of effect because most people will say, I'm not racist. I'm not a racist. Why some of my best friends are black? Right. Yeah, and then you say, name one. <laughs> or this one, I don't see color. And when some woman says to me, I don't see color, I say, I knew that if you saw color, you wouldn't dye your hair that way. Or I say, if you, didn't, if you saw color, you wouldn't wear that shirt with those pants. I believe that you don't see color. It's an attempt to deny skin color. And it's attempt, an attempt to deny what's wrong with seeing the color of my skin. Is it all right for you to see me kind of pink? That's okay for me. I don't mind. And I suspect that you don't mind being seen the color you are. You have a right to be what you are. And until people in this country and people in this world get it into their heads that the first modern human beings that evolved on this earth were black women. They evolved in sub-Saharan Africa about 280,000 years ago. And every human being on the face of the earth today runs the has the memory of those black women's genetic structure in their genes. Now, we don't want to admit that, but that's the way it is. And people, as people moved farther and farther from the equator, their bodies produced less and less melanin, so their hair, their skin, and their eyes got lighter. As they moved into the east, they ate a lot of fish and a lot of vegetables, so their skin took on a different tone. I found, I found that out when I was raising little kids. My husband worked in a supermarket. He, had, he was the head of the produce department. And they had lots of oranges that they couldn't sell, so he'd bring them home. And I was feeding my kids orange juice like you never saw in your life. They began to have an orange cast to their skin. I thought they had something, a liver problem. So I took him to the doctor, and she said, what are you feeding these kids? I said, well, lots of orange juice. She said, stop it if you want them to stop being orange. Now, if you think that skin color isn't anything other than the body's natural reaction to the natural environment, get over it. So if all white people are racist, according to you, can they be reprogrammed? Of course they can. Of course they can. Of How? course they can be. It's called education. I'm an educator. The word educator comes from the root duck deuce, which means lead, the prefix e, which means out, the suffix ate, which means the act of, and the suffix or, which means one who does. An educator is one who is engaged in the act of leading people out of ignorance. If you meet a black person, we're a thug or a criminal. We have been uh, stereotyped or, or there's a stigma, it doesn't matter. People look at me, see me, however you've been brainwashed to see me. And then when I smile, oh, that's a cool dude, right? Uh, oh, you right? It's something like that. Uh -huh. But it takes me, like, think about all the, I know I'm intelligent because I had to go to, I had to go get that. So when I open up my mouth, I don't speak the way you perceive me to have been speaking before I talk. Notice in this whole interview, I'm saying brothers and sisters everywhere. I said my white brothers and sisters, right, black. I got no beef with none of y'all. I'm just telling you what is. <laughs> what it is is the opportunity, the way we are educated, forces the narrative of black people. You should probably cut off Fox News, not just Fox, cut off CNN too. Mm -hmm. MSNBC, that's all the way left. Fox News, that's all the way right. You can't believe none of them. Because all they do is for-profit, scare the hell out of you, or divide you so you can keep watching. Yep. Right? Like, all of them are guilty. Yeah. This is why Republicans are guilty, Democrats are guilty. Don't, don't pick a side. Mm -hmm. right? Pick principles. Because it's one government. You don't control me with blue government. Don't control me with red government. Both parties got blood on their hands. 
period. And they're both guilty. Yeah. Period. And it w- one thing really kind of stood out. Well, I guess let me ask this question too. Um, in yeah, education, I know that you said you there was like I guess um through education the idea of black people being criminals or thugs is reinforced in our current education yeah. system. Can you give me an example of that? Because to be honest, I like after going through it, I don't know how that would be reinforced. Maybe I didn't notice, but I'm trying to think and I'm falling short on it. Nah, man, it's not something you didn't notice. It's just history is edited, right? Winners write history. So the American Revolution is taught differently in America than in England. Uh huh. <laughs> like you, you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. You yeah. learn about the American Revolution in, in England. You're gonna learn it differently than you do in America. So it's not that you missed anything. History is edited. I want you to just. I'll answer this. You like analogies? We'll do a visual analogy. I want you to visually present your mind the map of the world, all continents that you can see. Just put it in your mind. Every continent that has white or Europeans is large. Everyone has person of color or people of color is small. Africa can fit nearly every continent in the world on your map. It's this big. Are you saying that the map that's traditionally sold has Africa disproportionately smaller than what it actually is? Facts. If you could just, just Google yeah, because I just haven't heard continent. of that before, to be honest. I'm not saying you're wrong. I just as news no, to no, me. No, no, Africa is the largest continent on the planet. And so all the countries in which there are predominantly white people are larger than those in the southern part of the, of the world. If you, get, if you have children going to school and they're seeing this map, right. they're seeing a distortion. Of size, of shape, of location, of importance. In order to use this map at all, you have to take this piece, this piece off here, and put it over here. And now you see, the United States is no longer in the middle of the map. Right. Now I did this with a major record company in New York City, I think in 1970. And an older man stood up in the back of the room and said, Now, Elliot, you've gone too far. I said, What's your problem? You, you can't do that with the map. I said, Well, actually, you can. He said, No, the United States isn't in the middle of the map anymore. I said, The United States never was in the middle of the map. You need to realize this depends on how you draw your map. And then I pointed this little fact out. South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. Even though it doesn't really look like it. No, it is. <laughs> South America is actually nine times larger than Greenland. It's crazy. Now, according to your social studies teachers, what is the equator? Halfway between the North Pole and the South Pole on this map would be right about here. Right. And that means that Iowa has a semi-tropical climate. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been in Minnesota in the wintertime. I've been in Iowa too. It's definitely you know that that's, it doesn't have a tropical climate. So you have to then introduce a real version of the map of the world. I think this is the one. Oh, very good. The Peter's projection map. The sizes on this map are right. The shapes are distorted. Look at Greenland on this map. Right there. See it? Yeah, it's really tiny. 
See how small that is? Right. Look at it on the Mercator projection. So why do they do that? I don't understand. Why? Because the Pope commissioned Mercator to map to make a map that shows the spread of Christianity. So all the countries in which there are predominantly white people are larger than those in the southern part of the of the world, halfway between the North Pole and South. Mm -hmm. Now, if you get, if you have children going to school and they're seeing this map, right. they're seeing a distortion yeah. of size, of shape, of location, of importance. If they're looking at this map, they're seeing a distorted, shape distorted, but size and location and importance makes sense. This makes no sense. Yeah. On that map, Alaska is bigger than Mexico. On this map, Mexico yeah. is bigger than Alaska. And look at the look at, at Canada on this map. Look at that thing. That much is map. Look at Canada on a properly constructed map. Hmm. Yeah. Do you yeah. think that's important? A world of difference. A world of difference. That's a good. That's a good thought. Look at there. Look at South America, and compare it to Greenland on this map. Right. It's almost like we're teaching kids that we're bigger, we're better. That's right. You know. That's right. That's exactly what this map. That's exactly what this map is supposed to do. Right. What we have in this country and call education is indoctrination. We start from, now we start at three, we used to start at five. From the northernmost point of Canada to the southernmost point of South America, all the people in here are Americans. North Americans, Central Americans, South Americans. These are all Americans. You can't, you can't put up a wall to keep Americans out because we're all Americans. The whole world started in Africa. And I'm a, you haven't asked yet, but if you do ask, there is a hidden problem about, uh, about the, <laughs> every historian, every archeologist, it doesn't matter. Nobody is gonna tell you the world did not start in Africa. Nobody's not gonna tell you that. Whether you Pangea, uh, where, where the Africa was called Ethiopia at first because it was the whole continent was called Ethiopia. If you can see that in the Bible, uh, it, it's referenced Ethiopia, which is Africa. Whether you call it, it doesn't matter. Like mm -hmm. the whole world was most fertile in Africa, has all the resources. Here's the thing, brother. That means I, I don't know how to say this without ruffling feathers. But it's not my intent to ruffle feathers, but yeah. your line of questioning brought us there. Mm -hmm. It means that every single person on planet Earth came from a woman. Now, I'm going to watch this. I'm going to gently slap us all in the face. A woman. That's number one. But Gavin, your mother is a queen on planet Earth. And me, three-fifths person, got the right to vote before her. Think about that, brother. Mm -hmm. Think about the sickness that I am property to your descendants or whoever, right? Mm -hmm. But your queen mother that gave you life got the right to vote after me. And she's married to 
the person controlling the loss, right? Now, of course, we're not mm-hmm. talking about your mother, but you get the point. Yeah. The point is the black man got the right to vote before the white woman. That's insane. That's insane. So now we know women are mistreated. We know this. Period. Point blank. We know women are mistreated. Here's, the, here's what's even more. This is a problem that has everything to do with George Floyd, has everything to do with today. If y'all just Google... Actually, if you just listen to the next time white people march, which just happened, don't forget this, just happened nine weeks ago. Right? If people are mad at riots right now, but nine weeks ago, you were they were equating slavery. Like you had to you had to listen to the government for nine weeks and lost your mind and went out there and got haircuts and stuff. Right? Like that just happened. That just happened. It's, just, it's insane. That just happened. Think about it, man. Here we are in this world. And there's a whole movement happening that everyone knows, well, people don't know about it, but it is. I am determined to be rich. The middle class is not for me. I need news that cares about me. And not news that's going to scare me or make me mad at another people. I need news without politics. And I want news that will point me to the money. This is the news where it happens. The moments that change the world. These are the stories we need. The info that we care about. We only give you news that puts money in your pocket. And the news that gives us an advantage. This is the work that continues. Who we are today. And what we can become. Tomorrow. That's it. This is where news without agendas can lead us. Your wealth matters. This is why more perspectives make us stronger and how our mission can inspire tomorrow this is journalism that helps the world we live in this is Mexit news we will not be replaced listen to the way listen to the marches it's not my words listen to the marches we will not be replaced here is facts for you there's a book written in 1987 by Ben Wattenberg. I read it myself. It's called The Birth Dearth, D-E-A-R-T-H, Birth Dearth. In this book, the very first paragraph, this man, who is a, he was an advisor to presidents, a good Jewish white man, advisor to presidents, says, the main problem confronting the United States of America today is there are not enough white babies being born in this country. And right now, white people are really frightened. If you don't understand the destruction of Planned Parenthood uh, offices, and you don't understand the wall that we're going to build on the southern border of the United States, you haven't read the book The Birth Dearth by Ben Wattenberg. Ben Wattenberg was a brilliant Jewish man who was a member of the American Enterprise Institute, and he wrote a book, the first paragraph of which says, the main problem confronting the United States today is there aren't enough white babies being born in this country. He was an advisor to presidents of the United States. He wrote the book in 1987. He says, there are, if we don't change this and change it rapidly, white people will lose their numerical majority in this country and this will no longer be a white man's land. Now, I'm not misrepresenting this. I'm telling you exactly, almost exactly what he says. He says there are three things we can do to solve this. Number one, we could pay women to have babies as they have been doing in Western European nations for years. Then he says, and these are his words, not mine, Unfortunately, we would have to pay women of all colors to have babies, so we don't want to do that. He says the second thing we could do is increase the number of legal immigrants that are allowed into this country every year. 
Then once again he says, unfortunately, the vast majority of those wanting to come to this country today are people of color, so we don't want to do that. The third thing he says, and white men, women had better pay attention to this, 60% of the fetuses that are aborted every year are white. If we could keep that 60% alive, that would solve our birth dearth. Does that sound like racism to you? Can you talk a little bit about the trauma associated with The trauma associated with it? Yeah. One of the main traumas is it tells white people that they are superior because of the lack of melanin in their skin. And then they find out suddenly that we've got a black president. That's traumatic. That's where their trauma is. Living a lie, finding out the truth, is traumatic. Finding out now, recently, that within 30 years, white people will be in the numerical minority in this country is going to be traumatic. White people are scared to death right now, particularly white males. They're scared to death that they are going to lose their power in the future. And they are. But if you want to get ready for the future, if you want to be treated well in the future, treat others well in the present. What we do in the present constructs the future. We called the Japanese, and you'll pardon me, but this is what we call them, slant-eyed little yellow mm -hmm. We didn't say that about the Germans. After the war, we rebuilt Germany and Japan, and we get along beautifully with the Japanese. That was in 1945 that we finally won that war. How, ma how many years ago was that? Figure that out quickly. I'm not a math person, but... You're not a math person, but you know it wasn't that far. Right. And it didn't take 50 years for us to, to have peace with the Japanese and the Germans. Even though, even though, we dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. The Japanese hadn't killed 10 million people. Nowhere near that. We didn't drop any bombs on Germany, any, any atomic bombs on Germany. They were a different kind of people. We couldn't afford to do that. We killed how many Japanese people with two atomic bombs. And they forgave us. You want to talk about forgiveness? You want to talk about changing this thing? I cannot understand how Japanese people can stand the sight of any of us, and yet they do. I cannot understand why black people who have been subjected to the ugliness that they've been subjected to in this country can get up every morning and go work among us and not be absolutely furious. And I don't understand why we allow white people to behave the way they do. I don't understand that. And my third graders, after they'd gone through the exercise, couldn't understand it and wouldn't tolerate it. And when they went up to junior high, and a junior high teacher used the N-word, one of my, my former students said, if you're going to use that word, I'm going to go out in the hall until you stop using it, because we don't use that word in this school. That was a, sixth, a seventh grader who told his teacher off, when we have enough students who are willing to confront people who are making racist, sexist, ageist, homophobic statements, we're going to be better off. We have got to stop tolerating the intolerable. If it's intolerable for my black cousins, and every black person on this earth is one of my cousins, if it's intolerable for them, it's intolerable for me. I will not tolerate it. I will not tolerate it. That is not that. I am required not to tolerate that kind of treatment for the people who are related to me. And that's every person on the face of the earth. If your ignorance is such that you'll mistreat somebody because of your ignorance about the color of their skin, don't do it around me. Number one, I've been threatened with death lots of times. Now I say, go for it, fool. My husband died four years ago. Being with him would not be a bad thing for me. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Living a worthless, useless life 
is much worse than dying. See, this is, we can't say that we're better than anybody because if I grew up like Gavin, with Gavin's everything, I would make every decision that Gavin ever made. Likewise, if you grew up like Antonio, with Antonio's homelessness, mm -hmm. everything me, you would make every decision I've ever made. Nobody's mm -hmm. better than nobody, right? So this is this issue of not being replaced, the issue that we can't have a racist or a conversation about racism, because if you do, it means that you think that I'm telling you to give up your power or your privilege. It's why you can't talk. Nobody's asking you to do that. But the assumption is I want you to do that. And that's not the case, brother. It's <laughs> just not the case. Yeah. And I feel I feel like that is that's something that is I guess understood by the people I talk to that it's not, yeah. you know, and just my group of I talk to people of all colors, you know, but a lot of people in my city grew up in town, six thousand people. It's a very white town. Um and it seems like in this town, uh, or just in general, it there isn't, I guess, a disagreement uh, of like people think they want to bring, um, you know, black people want to bring white people down. It just is like it seems like the the thought process is almost like black communities keep themselves in a circle of poverty. And when I look at certain things, I see that. And when I look at certain, you know, like the history we talked about, redlining, um, gerrymandering, I see that. I'm like, well, this was brought and now they're in such a bad situation that almost like doesn't matter what the race is. It just happens that, you know, black people were the ones that were heavily affected by these decisions. And that wasn't a coincidence, clearly. Um, but I guess, I guess what I what I'm thinking the point I'm trying to make here um, is it's almost like we all want the same thing, and I shouldn't say all of us because that's very generalized. But I feel like the majority of people want the same thing, but just don't necessarily realize the reality or realize the scenarios that are happening instead of just seeing things in the news. But I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of went round Robin on that and didn't make a sound. No, 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 no. I, I actually got you. Do, do you mind if I address that? Cause I actually got exactly what, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. We are, let's, let's go back to slavery. So slavery ends or whatever you want to call it. Right now, what happens? You, you have this realization. This is proving your, your, this is to your point. You have real revelations that, Let's, let's talk about slavery real quick. So if you were in the South, the only job you really had to do was get up, make sure your slave went to work, drink some tea. That's pretty much it, right? That's, that's, yeah. that's pretty much, or some coffee, really. Some coffee, because we would have we would have Boston Tea Party by then, right? right? We, right? So it would have been coffee. It would have been coffee. Now, here's what happened. All the skill sets are black people. Think about that. Think about that. Just think about that. Anybody that's got the skill set to compete with the North, it's your labor force. You, mm -hmm. you didn't learn how to kill cotton. That was That's our skill. That, that's our skill, right? That's the skill you force us to learn. So what happens? Well, now you got to protect yourself. And I really, really, really want you 
to just look at the history of that because the, the, I'm answering the question black folk keep themselves in poverty that's what I'm answering let's think about it or the re repetitious cycle of poverty so now you abolish slavery so now slavery is abolished so what do you do next well now you got to segregate right mm -hmm. you, well you do Jim Crow you, 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 you set laws more laws that still are there that stop you know your labor force the skilled people from being worked so mm -hmm. then you know what civil rights movements happen this is crazy civil rights it's actually it's not it's actually facts and even more crazy civil rights movement happened and then what happens next brother it's simple after jim crow you get unions please do not get it twisted unions were never started to be fair they were started to protect white people's wealth let's band together right let's band together because they've got all the skill set let's make sure we handle that that's not a, a or an opinion that is the history of unions period so now you got that going on so every time that we master the rules of racism that get changed on us every time every single time you can see it happening right now peacefully protest oh, don't do that well do it this way well okay but not that way right you just you hey hey sir do you mind if we get in yeah sure you can come in but go in this way okay come in this way but you can't go in that way well how do you want us to behave we want you to shuck and job okay shuck and job well i don't like that either we, go get educated go learn go do that all right we're gonna go do that but now that we've educated you no now you up again right no, no matter what happens the rules change because the laws have never changed just the rules of the culture have changed i am a guilty pleasure for white people again i'm like the dave Chappelle of business there's more white people that follow me than than anything else but i'm a guilty pleasure i came from the trash can i was a homeless my entire childhood i aged out of cps custody i felt the fifth grade and the sixth grade back to back i graduated late i barely graduated there were 760 people in my graduation class i was number 700 or something I barely graduated I put myself through school then i went off to the united states military that made me an intelligence analyst spy because i had no parents and i had an iq of something like 140 or whatever the heck it was right whatever it was i scored an 86 or 76 on my ASVAB. i don't remember no more and all that stuff happened i am a guilty pleasure because i made it and people look at me and say see anybody can do it mm -hmm. that is not true at all i'm weird i in order for me to get to the business rooms that i've been in brother i had to be raped at six years old by men to sit at the tables i sit i had to be homeless at six 54 pounds 83 kilo kilos right at six years old i had to find a trash can a dumpster at seven i had to eat bugs i had to go days without eating i had to learn how to use public water fountains and drink as much as i can I had to drop out of, I had to fail the fifth grade, I had to fail the sixth grade, I had to drop out of school because who wants to fail twice in a row? Who could possibly handle that psychologically? 
You go to school, you put yourself to school, you smell like mop water, you're musty, your teeth are as yellow as cheese, you have no hygiene whatsoever, you can't do it. And the only reason I felt, brother, is simple, because in Texas at the time, you don't start getting homework until you're in the fifth grade. How can I do homework in the dark with no running water and no electricity? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. So you get all that. You take all that into effect, and I'm sitting at the table doing deals because I understand you didn't have to go through what I had to go through to be at this regular $200 table. Mm-hmm. That simple. Nobody's people aren't built like that. I am one in a generation, and you can't force or put the expectation of what I did on my entire people. You wouldn't even put that on your people, but that is the thing that we, they want us to do. We, we're in that same cycle of, well, you keep yourself poor. It's fantastic. I got a master's degree. So do, I have a master's degree, so the system can't be racist. He has a master's degree. He made it. We can't be, you know, it can't be a system of racism. It can't be a system of oppression. Look at him. He's a millionaire. But please believe, if I lose it, I'm not getting it back. Mm-hmm. The system don't work that way. It's just don't work that way, right? Donald, Donald Trump, with respect to him, I have no problem with Donald Trump. Or anybody say, you can file bankruptcy six times. If I file bankruptcy six times, <laughs> the, yeah, the bread, <laughs> you understand. All right, you got it. <laughs> First off, of course, sorry to hear all that happening. It's an amazing thing that, you know, you were, I know, I know you're very proud of that and you should be. Like anyone who makes that drastic of a change in their life definitely should be. Um, now, I, I want to talk a bit about, you know, the protests with George and, because here, here's how I saw everything and I want to tell me, because I think based off what you post on Instagram, we can reference with that. I think we disagree and I want you to tell me what you disagree with and why, because I want to know. And basically what I said was, you know, I saw, I almost never speak out on social issues when they happen just because mm-hmm. for me, the whole politics thing, I don't usually like watching news, all that negative stuff in my brain. It just really actually physically affects how I live my life very much. Um, so when this happened, I saw not, and I actually didn't watch the video at first because it, it seemed like it was terrible and I was like, I, I don't like I don't know something inside of me just didn't compel me to watch it and then you know everything kept happening and I was like okay I gotta watch this like what happened like did this man you know resist was he armed was he trying to hurt an officer was he innocent what like who's right here so I watched it like was absolutely disgusted saw no sign of anything and at first I was like what happened before I saw other videos he didn't do anything fucking awful right and then I did not meet, and tell me if you did, but I did not meet or hear any opinions on social media or in person um, from anybody who said that after knowing the information, that this was an instance that was in any way justified and that an innocent man was not murdered because he was murdered. And everyone I met agreed with that. Um, Before I move on, did you find anyone who didn't think that way? Most of my timeline. Most of your timeline did not. So they didn't think that an innocent person was murdered? Absolutely correct. So your timeline and your people, but remember, Mm -hmm. brother, you are a great person and like attracts like. 
And mm-hmm. as as crazy as hell as you are for interviewing me, you got some followers that is crazy as hell like you. Mm-hmm. So without a doubt that you would not have seen that. Even more so to the defense of of white people, or anyone that benefits from what they would call white privilege. There's no way that you did not think that was wrong. Of course you did. Of course you did. Mm-hmm. The the issue would be who's guilty, right? Like I, I posted one of these. Who's more guilty? The man who hung the black man on the tree or the crowd who watched mm-hmm. and did nothing? Somebody's more guilty. I'll let you decide, right? And at no point am I telling you that you're guilty. You everyone gets to decide their own guilt. Yeah. What I am telling you is that if this system continues to be this system and and some people benefit from it and some people do not, mm-hmm. somebody's gotta make a change. If not, then you become the people who did not you become the people who did not chastise the hangman, right? Mm-hmm. So no. On your timeline, nah, nobody did that. But I can tell you for sure, on mine, very different. Here's the best way to do that. The poorest place in the world, according to my opinion, is viral social media comments. All you got to do is go to comments, and you're going to see a litany of people saying, good for that N-word, and and this needs to happen more often. And there's a guy that literally went out in the streets with a bow and arrow, right? Like, it's just... It's yeah, insane. that was nuts. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's all in the comments because you, when you get people a platform and then they can think... Like, the, the, just, the, just two days before, there was a lady who threatened to... who called the police on a black man. But if you listen to what she said, she says, I'm going to tell them that you are endangering me. Like, listen to that, man. Listen to that. The man was bird watching. This is in Central Park. But she says, I'm going to tell them that you are threatening me and my dog. And then she gets on the phone and then puts on a panicking voice and say, hurry, I am afraid for my life. This was a woman that was using the police department for her bodyguards to have the same thing that happened to Mr. Floyd happen to this bird watcher. That happens every day. It don't happen on your timeline, but it most certainly happens on mine because I can't take off being black. Mm-hmm. I can't take off my blue uniform, right? I never get to reset being black, whether I'm a black cop or a black preacher or a black millionaire. I Still, will always attract someone else's programming that I have nothing to do with. Mm-hmm. So while the law of attraction is real, and all that stuff, and I, yeah. I don't vibrate at oppression. I don't. Mm-hmm. At the same time, somebody listening to me right now has cognitive dissonance. They're listening to me, and their programming still forces them to disagree with me, and they're trying very hard not to. Mm-hmm. They want to do what's right. To date, I've had 11 white people now reach out to me asking questions, and I honor all of them. And you're one of them. You were, the, you were the second. You were the second. And my buddy Brad was the first. And the truth is, brother, it ain't on yours, but I can promise you it's on mine. Mm-hmm. 
what justifiable reason do you have to stand on someone's neck, subdued, in cuffs for eight minutes or 46 seconds? That's number yeah. one. Number two, what does him happen to do with anything that happened to him on camera? Imagine, if you will, your, your best white friend who is a female, I rape her and I, I, I'm intending to be emotionally charged here, okay? Mm -hmm. And then my friends say, well, what did she do? Because this is what we do. This is how we treat women. A woman gets raped and we say, what was she wearing? She, we, we get on the phones and we go, but she knew what she was doing when she went to that hotel. And it's inappropriate. It is completely inappropriate that we victim blame a rape victim. And then we do the same thing when a black man gets shot in the street or murdered or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's victim blaming. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I, I'll say it for this video. I think that totally applies. But I think that, I actually shouldn't say but. One of my friends told me, when you say but, it kind of erases everything before that. So period. Um, <laughs> but, I almost just said it again. It's a program, right? Um, with that the being said. Is that your history from this interview has saved you from looking like an asshole. So you look pretty good <laughs> right now. You're pretty good. <laughs> Gosh, yes. <laughs> but... Damn it, you get what I'm saying. So, with, <laughs> with, with that, like, there are scenarios, though, where if you just see, let's say you see a video of a white police officer shooting a black person, um, yep. you really don't know what, ha like, if they had a gun on it, if they shot before. That's why me, if it's a black person, white, it doesn't matter. I like to not react right away because... There have been times where I've done that and then something else comes out and I'm like, oh, well, and now I kind of look like an idiot because I didn't have all the information. Um, and that's true. That, that's why I feel like I, I do disagree with the point where you say, um, you know, I want to see the whole video or the other parts just because like with that instance that we're talking about with George Floyd, I think it's pretty obvious when he's like crying for breath and screaming for his mother. Um, that any sensible person, he's detained, he's not going anywhere, just get off his neck. Um, that's very obvious, but in other instances, I don't think it's as obvious. And I think that, you know, there are other yeah. layers to it. No, no, there are other layers. Uh, unfortunately, I can make an argument that, that only everything you said only applies to when black people are at the brunt end of such, you know, punishment or something like that. I can make that argument. Mm -hmm. I won't. But I could make that argument and I wouldn't have to be right. I would just have to have enough evidence to present that argument, which is the whole point of a healthy discussion. Mm -hmm. However, I'll do it differently. If I punch a woman in the face, it doesn't matter what she did before. I punched her in the face. Period. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. She could have called me effing inward. It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, I, it, I think I think to an extent it would because, like, let's hypothetically say that a girl has a gun and she's, you know, pointing it at one of your family members. You know what I mean? So, like, that's an example where I think it would be justified to punch somebody That's absolutely true. Which is clearly well, an extreme but, example, but... But not extreme for black people because we get guns. Like, every time you see someone dying on the news, it's a gun pointed at us, right? It's like, that's... Mm -hmm. So your, your example, your extreme example, it actually accidentally proves the argument I did not make. It, what's extreme for you is normal for us. 
And by that law, we should, I should be able to punch a cop in the face. That's not what I'm saying, because here's the deal. Mm -hmm. Here's how we, here's how we eradicate this whole problem. I've been in combat a few times. I'm a, I'm a veteran of the United States Army. We have rules of engagement. As of this recording yesterday, there was, mm, there was a senior citizen pushed down mm. by Buffalo police. And have you seen that video? Yeah, I have, yeah. First off, he's bleeding from his ears profusely. Yeah. If you look at that video, where were the rules of engagement? His hands were down. He's over 60. Mm-hmm. He cannot possibly pose a threat because there's over 20 officers in military-styled battle dress. There's no way that he posed a threat. The issue here, brother, is where are the rules of engagement for police officers? Because I had them in the United States Army. I have them in combat in any military mm-hmm. outfit whatsoever. But that ain't pushing him down is not the main problem. If you go back and look at that video, you would see the cop, the knee-jerk reaction is that cop, the one cop wanted to check on that man, and he was pushed mm-hmm. by the other officer. Nope, don't look at that, keep going. And 20 people proceeded to pass this man up. They're trying to cover it up, and eventually they render him aid. This is a major issue. Let's take it out of cops, put it in the humans. At no point should this man, if I was on the battlefield killing the enemy, I would have had the rules of engagement to give the enemy aid. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. That I, Geneva, the, the Geneva Acts, right? The codes of Geneva. I would have had to render the enemy aid should I have done something like that. There was no aid rendered. The only reason it was, it's because something, right? I don't want to say what the something was, so that would now be my opinion. I don't want to say what that was. So whatever that something is, we got to do something. And of course, it ain't me. I ain't got no power. You got to do something, right? You and your grandpa got to do something. I can't do nothing. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you definitely have power, though. I mean, I may be wrong in saying this, but since you were able to create, you know, such a powerful story and then also amass wealth, I think that, you know, money alone gives you power in a sense. And I could be totally wrong, but... No, and and that's actually the best thing I've heard you say so far because I say all the time that that's the only thing that's going to change. That's what what I did now. And I purposely left it out, but you brought it up. People don't vote. You think you vote. Money votes. And that's just what it is. And the more people who have money, the more you can control that. So I do have the ability to buy politicians. Now, there's a word for that that makes us all feel comfortable. It's called lobbying. See, we like that. We like to say lobbying politicians. Yeah. But we're still buying votes, right? We're still yeah. buying agendas, nevertheless. So I do have some power there. Systematically, you know, my people do not. But you bring up a very good point there, brother. Super duper good point. So kudos to you. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so with, with this scenario, too, tell me, if you disagree with this, because I shared basically like the beginning point, but not like, I guess, the end point, because I spoke on two different points, right? Basically a message I put out, and I had lots of discussions with lots of people from all races, and I really listened to all of them and even um, got some really cool points I want to go over with a girl named Steph, who, um, shout out to her, she brought up some really solid points too. 
but basically my message i mean first off did you see my instagram story i'm not sure if you did or not nah, I, sh- I, I didn't see it i haven't okay. looked in two days yeah totally fine it was, i can't remember how many days ago it was but basically what it was was me saying that you know everything with george floyd was terrible and i condemn it and i think that there should be more checks and balances exactly what those are we can dive into some of those like specific solutions um i have a few ideas but i'm clearly not the prophet that knows if these ideas will work as well as uh, they sound in my head. <laughs> but uh, with, with that being said, I basically, you know, started by saying that because in no way am I in a disagreement that saying George Floyd being murdered was justified at all. It was disgusting, right? Absolutely okay. disgusting. And yeah, that, that's not a debate at all for me. What was in debate right. for me was the response afterwards and I really want to hear your opinion on this because I feel like we may differ here. What I saw... I'm, I'm, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, what I saw was an innocent man who got murdered, right? And that was a huge injustice. But then what I saw after that was more innocent people being punished regardless of race. And I do not think, and now that the family spoke out, the family does not want, you know, more innocent people to suffer from that because you have, you know, businesses that were looted that owners may not have had a racist bone in their body. Like imagine if your business had a physical store that was looted with all the good that you're doing for the community. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense. And then I just saw innocent people continuously being punished for an innocent man that was murdered. And I'm like, these people aren't like, was wrong. I get the outcry behind the message and saying like, Hey, we tried, you know, peaceful stuff. We're going to get, you know, uh, louder now and make our message more prominent. And I even understand that not all protests that turn violent were incited by the protesters. Some of it very may have well been Antifa, white supremacist no, groups. Not very well, super well. That's yeah, yeah. It down in, um, I feel like more so in the southern uh, part of the U.S. too, from at least my buddies down there even saw some of it happen. And I I get that. I guess just my point was I did not agree with violent protests because I just didn't think that it moved us forward. To add to that a little more, when you think about the long-term effects of it, many of these protests happen in big cities, right? Big cities a lot of times are notoriously known for having bad uh, public education, because a lot of times they struggle with funding. And when you tear down things that were already established, even if you want changes to be made to them, uh, but you're still going to have to rebuild everything that was basically destroyed, that costs a lot of money, and you're taking away money from schools, uh, potentially, Mm -hmm. right? And different areas that could really... Because there's so many things that need to be funded, and now a lot of funding has to go just to rebuilding what was already here. And... On top of that, just small businesses with, you know, some of them not having insurance, um, clearly obvious. A lot of minority businesses were also affected. I know a few people personally, but that, that was, I guess, my response to it and why I was like, this happened. It was terrible, but we continue to make this happen. So that's why I really spoke out verbally about stopping the violence because I thought and still think that there are better ways to deal with it as severe as it is that we don't have to destroy what people who are innocent did not cause. Okay. There's a lot there. Yeah. Uh, for one, 
I wouldn't even, I'm not even sure if you're tapping into your white privilege to disagree with this. I think this is more of you just being a decent human being. Mm-hmm. But you being a decent human being, of course you wouldn't want violence to happen. I just, I can't fathom that your motives are incorrect here. I just, I listen, I can't detect with intelligence, empathy, or awareness that you have an incorrect motive anywhere in what you said. So I applaud you for that. That's number one. Like, clearly, none of us can change the past. And I would like to think if I were in that era that I'd be like, hey, don't do this or don't have slavery. But honestly, most likely, I would probably be pro-slavery if I was in a slavery era, right? Just would I be proud of it looking back? No, but statistically speaking, I would most likely be. Um, Clearly, if I could go to that current state now with my uh, knowledge and values, Hell no, right. I wouldn't be for it. Like speaking out against it, I would probably, you know, get killed or something. Um, but um, yes. yeah, but for me, I, what I'm focused on, I guess when I say that is changing what we can do moving forward. Cause I know that we can't change what we have done, but I also realize it's important to understand what we have done. If you, if you get what okay, I'm saying. So that, then that's the biggest problem right there. Your post, accidentally doesn't understand what's happening not from a decent human being perspective mm-hmm. right I, I can't detect anything immoral uncomfortable even to- you're not even being tone deaf there's just a story there's a meta narrative there there's no context in the protest you've taken an isolated incident of even if you want to say multiple isolated incidents right it's still an isolated incident in time you snatched it and taken it out of the context of the plight of African-American people, right? You've mm-hmm. taken that out of context. So there would be one of, that's why I said that there's a lot, there'd be one of the problems. In fairness to, to all people listening, especially to you, we have far more than, than the problem. Again, I don't disagree with anything you're saying, but there's more. There's a lot more mm-hmm. in what you're saying. Because if someone was to burn down my building, and there's been many of people who said this with me, I got insurance. That's okay. Buildings can be replaced. Lives can. Mm-hmm. And that, so when you put property over lives, that's actually kind of a problem. Now, not you. You said yeah. the fucking poor, right? Uh, but even yeah, with yeah, yeah, the yeah. violence, I do feel like, I mean, there have been lives that have been lost too, and that um, whether people were acting sure. violently, that's the thing too. It's like, the, the whole outcry, in a sense, I like to think that I understand the ridge behind it. Clearly, I feel like I'm ignorant to an extent with that. Um, well, you are ignorant, but you're trying your ass off to get it, though, right? So I am. That's, that, that's why I have, like, yeah. it's not comfortable for me to say this. And I understand how I could even sound, you know, potentially racist to some people, which no, definitely no, not. you don't sound racist. <laughs> no, but, you don't even sound tone deaf. You don't sound, it's just. You snatch something out of context. You've taken the context from the content. You're talking about the content and didn't put it back in its proper context. I, That's the most guilty that I could possibly make you in this situation right now. I guess, like, for me, just how I think about it is, like, no matter what innocent person's being punished, I don't want it to happen, if that makes sense. So when George Floyd And we was, also don't want other people, other innocent people to get punished because one mm-hmm. innocent person got punished, right? Exactly. So that's also yeah. what you said. Yeah. And to me, I just look at it 
And what I see is like the context of the background of the buildup, the years of buildup that this, you know, um, has caused, or I guess is now being shown. I like to think like I can understand where that comes from, but I feel like I'll never truly be able to. But what I do understand just from my beliefs is I just don't like innocent people getting punished. You know what I mean? And that's that's right. what I keep coming back to why I don't agree with the violence is just because if Antonio got, you know, his store looted and God forbid of you or someone else, you know, if you were trying to protect us or whatever, also got injured. That's the kind of stuff that just like, it also so gets... So let me, I got you. Mm-hmm. I got you. So let, let, let me bless you. Let me tell you why, why, why. So every action has an unintended side effect or more scientifically speaking, every action has an opposite and equal reaction. Now I'm not fit to defend the, the protest or the, the violence of the protest. But we want to have one conceptual understanding here, Newton's third law of motion. Every action has the opposite and equal reaction. Mm-hmm. And I believe we can all agree with that objectively that that will happen. Now, that being said, if you say that innocent people have lost their property, that also has an unintended side effect or the opposite and equal reaction. It also means before innocent people ever lost their property, other innocent people lost their property. Mm-hmm. So when you say one without understanding the other, think about it. For 400 years, innocent people who were black lost their property. They were divided from their families. They were raped and pillaged. The name Washington doesn't even have a, a descendant of white whatsoever because his wife could not have children so anyone you will ever meet with the last name of washington comes from his slaves from his from his slave mother woman right side piece would be more accurate here so before there was ever innocent anything happening in 2020 in 1620 there was innocence being lost so there's not a point of saying that you're wrong it is just the point of saying if Newton's third law of motion, because that's what you're that's what you're basically saying here. Innocent man shouldn't equate to innocent man, innocent people. Mm-hmm. But if you do a this is to that and that is to this, and you go through the whole history, then you should be able to say the same thing about us. And, and but, but it, I'm not disagreeing on that because like that's the thing though is I have no influence over changing the past it's impossible right oh i'm glad you said that i'm glad you said that because you're right we can't change the past the problem is you keep benefiting from the past and Mm -hmm. i keep de benefiting from the past that Mm -hmm. is the right that is that's not only just a proper response or my response that's what's happening Mm -hmm. we can't change the past but you second person plural keep benefiting from what I can't change. And you're not, a, you second person plural, not allowing me to benefit from the past. Mm-hmm. And that brother, that's hard. Now your post, your thing, if you got any feedback, you're just a victim of not being able to develop your argument in a 100 by 100 pixel post on a story. Right. You only got so much room. <laughs> you want to say it had, 
had someone let you finish, you would have said all the stuff you just said here. So you're just a victim of, I only got so much space to make this post. <laughs> you, you understand what I'm well, saying? Well, I, cool I, I filmed a video, so it, it was a little longer. Okay. I, tr I tried okay. to hit the point, mainly because I actually just hate typing, and I think there's not really motion behind it, or you can't convey your messages. Fair enough, well. fair enough, but, fair enough, right? But you, but you didn't get to have such an extended conversation yeah. like this. You feel me? So, mm -hmm. of course, you are going to be misrepresented about some of the stuff you said. That's the whole power of communication. It's also the downfall of communication. As long as you're communicating, you have the right to be heard. And when you have the right to be heard, someone has the right to disagree with what you said. Right? Yeah, of and, course. And that's of course. just that thing. Man, that's just that thing. But at the end of the day, brother, we are listen, the, the innocent people, the innocent property. You're not wrong. But we did what you asked. Right? We, we have... We, who's more forgiving than a slave period who's harder working than a slave black people are the most forgiving people on planet earth as a matter of fact that's what we do that's you called it when you said oh they killed my brother don't do that i'm not mad we embody forgiveness to the point in which we get no credit but we're expected to do so but we are very 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 forgiving. You're not having a conversation of revenge. You're having a conversation of racism. Those are two different things. When you have a civil unrest like this, there are three type of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to shit up and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, well, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country, in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. That they are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is that they're going to get is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting, that's their only opportunity to get it. We need to be questioning that why. Why are people that poor? Why are people that broke? Why are people that that food insecure, that clothing insecure, that they feel like their only shot, that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. 
We came to do the agricultural work in the south and the textile work in the north. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you, and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money, I didn't allow you to have anything on the board, I didn't allow for you to have anything, and then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly, and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa, that was Rosewood, there are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all. Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them, and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play. And every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then finally at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have. That if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the f do I give a shit about burning the football hall of fame, about burning the target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give up. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You built the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so your target. Your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. The French Revolution was a revolution of revenge. Mm -hmm. Right, they went off with the king's head. There's no one storming the White House going off with anyone's head, not now or ever. Right, as far mm -hmm. as black people, we're extremely forgiving, extremely, super duper extremely. But we have to 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 call a spade what a spade is. At some point, every time we do something, we say y'all say nope, can't do that. So when do we? 
when when does civil disobedience become uncivil? Yeah, because and you, you, you get it. Because the yeah, only reason that it wasn't Martin Luther King's death that did the Civil Rights Act, it was the protest in 110 different cities across America uh-huh. that did the Civil Rights Act. Right. Definitely. So when does civil disobedience get to become something physical and, and manifestation? Because it ha- that's how America you the the your founding forefathers were civilly disobedient and according to them england didn't listen so they got violently disobedient mm-hmm. and we call that a, hero, a, a heroic story yeah i, I do i right? do get what you're the saying because it it's i mean even if you take it back to the founding fathers it's like um it, it's a different scenario of course but peaceful you know protesting would have maybe worked eventually but who knows uh, the biggest thing right, <laughs> right, right the biggest thing right now that I think I really give value to is almost the view of the officers that murdered George Floyd need to be held accountable and it's kind of and then you know they are going through the justice system and everything but it's kind of at the same point where it's um like so now you're saying people who are protesting should be held accountable when we can't hold police officers accountable and here's the thing too i believe the majority of cops are good i want to know if you disagree with me on that because i that's probably way swayed just because i've never encountered personally a bad cop i haven't um but that's my experience (laughs) you get what i'm saying that's not my reality exactly (laughs) that's that's why i'm saying i'm very aware that my reality is different like even uh, some of my buddies, uh, like shout out to Mike right here from from uh, the university I go to. He's from Milwaukee, and he had multiple racist experience with cops um, growing up. Right, me not yeah. once, and wow. that's that's why I enjoy reaching across to learn more about this kind of stuff. But basically, to wrap it up, um, the yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It's it kind of like the holding accountability for actions and every action with equal opposite reaction. It's almost, yep. it's sad to me that innocent people have to be punished to see progress, but it almost, yep. <clears throat> it, it, it makes sense to sense. It just is hard for me, I guess, to wrap my mind around the point that innocent people are, may have to get hurt for this to work because it's almost like if you saw your dad just like get devastated or your mother get devastated, you yep. knew they didn't do anything right. They're like, why the hell did this happen to them? And that's just why I keep, I guess, like it keeps hitting my mind. Like whenever that's it's you're a decent human being, that's because you're a decent human being. First off, we've got, that's a human consciousness problem because nothing ever changes to innocent people die. That's like, give me a point in history in which we ever talked about something and it changed. From caves to now, that's not how we do things. From a human consciousness, collective consciousness, that's not that's not how human beings change. We don't we don't change until we're up on the precipice of destruction. And on that precipice of destruction, that's when the human consciousness changes. That has nothing to do with you, got nothing to do with me. Your the, what I would call source you, that 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 thing that makes you this God on earth is screaming out, of course that shouldn't happen. And you're right, brother. You're absolutely right. However, and this is a, that's a better word than but, right? That, however, right? This, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you Different go. transitional word words. You. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> however, there's some, some astute points that you, you brought up that 
that are so you blatantly ask me you know, are the good cops or do, do I think they're bad cops and a lot of for one mm-hmm. I've got five violent records on my on my on my my whatever you call it my record right yeah I didn't do a single one of them nothing it's documented mm-hmm. one of them is still on there and the case was dismissed due to lack of evidence it is culture that you're gonna beat the charge, but you won't beat the ride. And anybody black knows what I'm talking about. That's not my words. Mm-hmm. Those are the those are the words of arresting officers. I beat every charge. Yeah. I didn't beat the ride. Just the goal is to put it. That means that you're gonna get arrested, and we're gonna trump up these charges. Mm-hmm. You will beat those charges, but this will be on your record. Yeah, that is. So you're going to jail overnight. Yeah, and you will bond out, and you will lose your money, and you will lose your job, and you will beat this case fourteen months from now because the system doesn't move that fast. Yeah, but you will not beat the ride to jail. I get what you're saying. Yeah, that's how me and Mike have grown up. Now, yeah, as far as cops, yeah, well, that's that's yeah, that's 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 our reality. As far as Mm -hmm. good cop, bad cop, the. I'm a veteran, so I'm obviously pro. Yeah, and thank you for your service, of course. Here's the problem with do I think there are good cops and bad cops? Obviously, the objective answer is they're both. Do mm-hmm. I think there are more good cops than bad cops? This is where we got to have a very serious conversation, and it's real short. I'll give you an analogy, and we can you can go from there. Yeah. Gavin gets married. And your wife lets you hang out with me and all my black friends, right? All my friends, whatever that may be. And on camera, you are cheating on your wife. And we stand in protection of that and don't say anything. We let you do it. And then we cover it up. And then we create, right? You know, how are you going to be guilty? We say, no, that's not what happened. And we bring in these lawyers, and then the the divorce courts don't let you don't let her file for divorce because we, the good friends, let you be a bad husband. Think about that for a second. Your wife would absolutely think I'm a bad friend, yeah. regardless. Well, that is the issue with the good cops. More good cops than not. If and we can just well, let's not even talk about black. Let's just go back to the senior citizen guy who was white. Oh, uh, just just to clarify for a second, are you saying mm-hmm. um, almost like the in the police force there are you know let's say friends right who see something happen that's bad and just because they didn't do it they're still I guess at that guilt level for not um, you know speaking out against their kind of like ratting out to report those instances is that is that what you're saying wouldn't, or I did misinterpret absolutely that? no okay. wouldn't your wife say the same thing and, and, mm-hmm. and wouldn't I, if, if I am watching you get hung in a crowd if, if you're my friend and I watch you get beat up mm-hmm. aren't I equally as guilty you gotta think about that doesn't like think about it. if I watch you get beat up consistently. We're not just talking about one isolated incident. It's just for yeah. your whole childhood. And I've always been around. I've always been around. Your whole age, I've always yeah. been around. I never, ever, ever 
snitched or turned no, into I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. And, you and I actually do think that's a big part. You know, you hear like, don't be a rat, don't be a snitch, whatever, in almost all the culture. But it's like, if you want change, be a, be a fucking rat. You know what I mean? Like, if you see something that messed up, and like, what, even with the police officer from Minneapolis, I don't even know his name. I sh- probably should. The guy, the guy who stood on or kneeled on um, George's neck, like his history and laundry list of shit that is red flags. Yeah. Um, st- yep. I mean, stuff like that, stuff like ratting should definitely happen. Um, and yeah, it, it's funny because that kind of stuff isn't something that you write down in a rule and everything changes. It's an attitude shift that has to change. You know what I mean? No doubt. It's an attitude shift, but it only happens with police officers. And again, I'm not mm-hmm. saying anything bad about police officers. I'm just telling you, I couldn't do that if I was your friend. I couldn't do that if I was your coworker. I couldn't do that anywhere else on planet Earth. I can't be... I can't let a Catholic priest, respects the Catholics, rape little boys and stand by and say nothing. Mm-hmm. This is why the Catholic Church took a big black eye and brand for quite some time because they did stand by and cover that up. And yeah. the public didn't let them make it. And there was a change. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to police officers, we excuse that. Yeah. Right? And yeah, we did. Yeah, man. Yeah. The, the, that 67, well, I don't know if he's 67 or not, but that 60-year-old man was walked by by a bunch of good cops and mm-hmm. they saw what happened. It, it, it's, I'm not it's telling like, you they're bad. Yeah. I'm saying they're equally as guilty. It's crazy because I like to think of myself as a very good person and like morally sound. Um, my morals are like very important to me. But if I were in that scenario where I was one of the cops and like saw everyone else pass them, like my instinct would just be to like keep going because apparently like that's what we're supposed to do and like somebody's, you know what I mean? Like it's all such that's fair enough. Um, but I mean, I'm not justifying that at all. I'm just trying no, to think. No, it's not even justification. Yeah. You'd be right. Let's say you got three kids at home and you need that job. Mm-hmm. Right? Of course you're going to walk by. You, you get yeah, what I'm like, Of course yeah. you're going to walk by. Mm-hmm. You should walk by. But we've got things called aiding and abetting, right? <laughs> like, I can go to jail for being at the wrong place at the wrong time because I was with you committing a crime. But mm-hmm. if I'm with you committing a crime as a cop, we all get off. I know what you're saying. Okay. Cases of police brutality on African Americans have sparked public uproar in recent years. These cases have called into question the practice of qualified immunity for police officers. Qualified immunity is a type of legal immunity that protects a government official from civil lawsuits. When invoked, it provides immunity from having to go through the costs of a trial. The legal concept frequently appears in cases involving police officers, but it can apply to executive branch officials. If applied, it shields officers from liability for all actions taken on the job except those that violate clearly established law. The Supreme Court invoked qualified immunity dating as far back as 1967. Its rationale was to allow officials to perform their duties without fear of constantly defending themselves against claims for damages. In other words, it was to allow those acting in good faith to carry out their job without deterrence. In 2015, the court ruled that California police were entitled to qualified immunity after they forcibly entered the room of a woman with a mental disability and shot her. In another example, the court granted qualified immunity to a University of Arizona police officer after he shot a woman who refused to drop a knife in her driveway. A recent investigation by Reuters uncovered that appeals courts grant qualified immunity to police much more than they used to. 
the Supreme Court may decide to reconsider the doctrine. Associate Justice Sonia Sotomayor called it an absolute shield for police officers accused of excessive force. And Associate Justice Clarence Thomas complained that the doctrine has no historical basis. Even if the justices weigh in, it's not clear whether they would abolish qualified immunity or even significantly scale it back. Um, while we're on the topic of police officers, sure. um, I'm going to share my screen here. Uh, there's just cool. one post you had on your Instagram. Um, can, cool. can you see my screen? Yep, sure can. And don't, okay. forget, you, don't forget to bring up the 8th and the 13th Amendment, too. We forgot all about that. Oh, yeah. You want to do that, too. Okay, I'll, we'll bring that one up right after this one. <laughs> but uh, so basically, with with this post, um, playing devil's advocate here, right? So stop telling mm -hmm. us every cop isn't bad. Tell them every black male is not a threat. So totally agree with that, right? Yep. Um, like, yeah, I, I think it's good to, you know, not view black people as threats. I think it's good to not view anyone as a threat until they give you a reason to view them as a threat. Um, yep. And just playing devil's advocate, I think it's also very important to say, tell, you know, people, you know, whether they be black or really just people who are from impoverished communities that have a lot of police officers, the race doesn't really matter. But where police officers are prominent, tell, um, I guess actually race does matter more so in this since there's like, I guess, stereotypes and more so assumptions that are with um, Statistically and from numbers, race does matter. Like, yeah. Not, that wouldn't even be your opinion. The, the numbers justify that. Yeah, but I guess my point I was kind of leaning towards is the numbers justify that because a lot of um, black people are in inner city communities that are impoverished, kind of going back to economics. We already hit on that. I don't, I don't want to do round robin on that one. Um, but, but, um, with that, because uh, I was also, I, I was doing some searching and I found, and this is from uh, the Washington Post, that a police officer is 18.5 times more likely to be killed by a black male uh, than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. So with those statistics, it, it, it kind of, I guess, piqued my interest because I was just looking at everything and that was one that stood out to me um, and kind of like flipping the script on this. I'll stop sharing it now just because we're staring at that. <laughs> but um, no, no, that, that's yeah, yeah. I, I just kind of want, I guess, your opinion on that and the attitude shift that I think needs to happen both ways. As people should not view sure, police yeah. officers as threats, um, you know, until they give them. <laughs> that a was a both well. ways post. That mm -hmm. was a both ways post that was posted. Let's go to this. You said Washington Post did that. Uh, yes. That? Yeah. All right. So Washington Post says it's eighteen point five percent more likely for an officer to be uh, killed 18. by eighteen point five times more likely it was eighteen point five times. Yeah, more likely for a black man to get killed by an officer than an officer to get killed by. I mean, than a black man to get killed by an officer. Yeah. To to be specific, it said unarmed mm -hmm. black man. Um, for like the it said you know eighteen point five times more likely. Uh, for an officer to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male to be killed by a police officer. Fair enough. So my response to that would be, where, let's, let, let me preamble this real quick. Mm -hmm. Everything that has a harvest has a seed. That means if I see the harvest, I can trace that back to the very same seed. I don't get to, like, I don't plant an orange and get a banana. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. And uh -huh. also, when I plant a seed, I get back multiple oranges with m multiple seeds in them, et cetera, et cetera. So we all have that basic understanding. Mm -hmm. And when they use that frame of thinking, 
where on earth is the harvest, at least in America, to where 18.5% of white officers are dead? That would be my response to that. All that well, is like just, just to be specific, just in officers in general, but okay. Well, well yeah, officers too, I mean, not like but, it's a big deal, but just to keep it, I guess, congruent. Well, well no, 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 yeah, you know, no, we, we, we want to stay true to the text, and, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. But there are not 18.5 percent officers dying every day. Now think about that, or even like, let's like, think about that. I, 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 I almost wonder though, because. I guess the thing that we even touched a little bit earlier about is if an officer kills a black man or female or anyone, I feel like there is more media attention given to that than if a black person were to kill an officer. Fair enough. So let's move the media out the way. Let's move uh, our preferences out the way. Let's move everything out the way, but one objective fact, Mm -hmm. where are these officers that are dead? But that's my thing. We know where the black people are that are dead. We know where the black people are. I guess my point was, like, are. the media kind of highlights that, which is why I brought no, it no, up. No, like, no, no, no. Like, why we know I, where I, it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that, that's why I'm just trying to stretch out. I'm yeah. trying to take all that away. <clears throat> that statistic is extremely misleading. Because, and I'm not telling you it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if we just look at the harvest of the situation, the harvest is you do not have officers dying at 18.5% faster rate than the people that officers kill, white or black. You don't have that. And I'm not saying that officers are killing people. That's that's not my argument. Yeah. I have no argument here. My argument is the validity of this 18.5% is my argument. And I'm not giving an opinion. I'm just saying where does that exist? Like, where's the orange fruit of that seed? If you want you me to, it? yeah, I'm not sure if this would help answer or not, but basically it shows how this statistics compiled. I printed it out because for me too, when I read it, I always like to know like how that is compiled. No doubt. If you if you want me to read it, I could do that. And then for you to still, I guess, give me how you view it. It's it's kind of long. <laughs> I don't know if it would be No, no, you would, have to, you would have to read it or at least share your screen because yeah. I'm, not being, so, I'm not being fair to who put the statistic up i'm not yeah i'm not i'm not being fair so you would have to so i I don't have it pulled up on my computer but i have it printed out right here so i can read it that is yeah i mean i I come prepared but yeah it's so i'll go i'll go through it quick i you know you're like an um, investigative journalist man (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I just care about these conversations you know i want to make sure that we're like like we talked about hitting on tough topics and really trying to get you know um movement that's meaningful out of it so in this one it says you know in 2019 police officers fatally shot 1,400 people most of whom were armed or otherwise considered dangerous african americans were about a quarter of these killed by cops 235 which is a ratio that remained relatively stable since 2015 the that share of black victims is less than the black crime rate would predict since police shootings are a function of how often officers encountered armed and violent suspects. In 2018, the latest year for which uh, such data has been published, African Americans made up 53% of known homicide offenders in the U.S. and commit about 60% of robbery, though they are 13% of the population. Police fatality shot nine unarmed African Americans and 19 unarmed whites in 2019 
which is down from 38 to 32 the prior year. In 2018, there were 7,407 African-American homicides. Assuming there is a a comparable number of victims last year, those nine unarmed black victims of police shootings represent 0.1% of all African-Americans killed in 2019. By contrast, a police officer is 18.5 times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by a police officer. On Memorial Weekend this year alone, 10 African, this is kind of irrelevant to the statistic, but yeah, that, so you. that ends there from the Washington Post. I got you. I got you. Yeah, so here's, so I, nah, I got you. I will intelligently answer this. Mm-hmm. For one, we still have to deal with the real reality that is not white or black, mm-hmm. that officers are not dying faster than the people that are dying at the hands of officers. I'm now remember that. That's not me leaning this away. That's yeah. just a reality. You, you feel what I'm saying? I'm not trying I, to. I, I do. I am pro cop. I'm yeah. pro police. Mm-hmm. I'm pro police. No, I, and I know you are. I know yeah. you just yeah. want it to yeah. be just. Like I do not question that at all. Um, well, I'm just trying to deal with the fact that this is the seed. Here is the tree. And that statistic, the tree doesn't match with that statistic. But I'll explain here in a second. Mm-hmm. The first thing, we, like the, I, the the first independent clause of what you was reading said, unless otherwise considered armed and dangerous or a threat, a threat. You said something like that. Yeah, it said who yeah. are armed or otherwise dangerous. All right. That's obviously loose translation. Either mm-hmm. me or you are going to be able to solve what that means here. But yeah. every person, yeah, yeah, we, we can't. We can't I, I do we know the know. armed in this. I don't know about the dangerous, but just to clarify, this wasn't in there, but it was in further in the article. The armed was considered like, even if there was a loaded gun in the car, but they didn't have the gun, they were considered unarmed. So I guess they were stronger on that, but I have dangerous Not is very. That. Yeah, because George Floyd was considered a threat. That's why he was put into a chokehold while mm-hmm. handcuffed. Right? So that's I get what you're me. saying. Okay, mm-hmm. all right, yeah. So yeah, how that, and he really yeah. wasn't a threat. So, like, dangerous, I mean, maybe George Floyd was going to say dangerous when he right. wasn't. I get what you're saying, yeah. And, and we know this because the tree says officers are not charged with a crime because they acted within the realm of their duties because there was a threat. So mm-hmm. that's the tree. That's all I'm trying to do is say, there's the tree. Yeah. We know that people aren't being charged because the defense is they pose a threat. There's no reason to t- get past the grand jury. So we know mm-hmm. that. We know that. Now, in fairness, in, in, in super fairness, police officing is a hard job. Mm-hmm. In more fairness, it takes longer to get your cosmetology certification than it does to become an officer. Mm-hmm. That's 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 fair. I'm not trying to be facetious. Yeah, I know but, what you're saying. Okay, that is fair, right? I'm obviously not going to be able to eloquently end or or, or end that statistic, and I'm not, and I, and I don't intend to. But the fact of the matter is. When police officers suit up, they have to deal with that statistic mentally that I may die today 
every time I put on this uniform. Yeah. I respect that. And I'm not going to put a butt after that. That's what they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Also, what is a fact is that doesn't happen by the hand of black people. You, you get I'm, I'm being mm-hmm. very respectable to yeah. the fact that an officer must put on a uniform and know I can die today. I may not come home to my kids. Yeah, it could be from anyone. Yeah, at the same time. Let's take a lot of black people. At the same time, they're not people killing officers at Mm -hmm. that rate. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. To to build on that point, too, I I think that it is a dangerous mindset because it's almost like... That's it. That's what I was trying to say. That statistic promotes a dangerous (laughs) mindset that doesn't match this reality. I feel like that's a big problem because here's the thing. It's like, let's say just purely statistically, if I am 40% more likely, and this is just totally made up, not backed by anything, yep. but 40% more likely to die if I turn left um, or 40% or only 10% more likely to die if I turn right. Well, if I turn left, I'm going to take a lot more precautions in my mindset. just going to be like, oh, I'm 40% more likely to die. And you're um, going to be war ready when you turn left. You're going to be ready for war. When you turn left, you're going to kill anything that looks like it's going to kill you. And thus, you help me answer the question I couldn't say yeah. I like. <laughs> because once they come into the black neighborhood, they're ready to kill because the mindset and yeah. the media I, and everything has said, as soon as I turn here, somebody's going to die before I die. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds how, me. Yeah, how can you protect and serve with that mindset? Yeah, because you can't fairly, and it. No, nope. I'm I'm thinking of it from the officer's perspective too, and it's like, you know, it, it's it's kind of like a that fight or flight instinct without it being yeah. engaged twenty four seven. And I'm not yeah. justifying, you know, having that mindset. I'm just no, trying to think I, like I'm if I went into the, the same situation, yeah, I'm defending I feel the like, Yeah, I feel like it would be tough for me to be as lax as and as fair as I want to be. Right. You know, because it's easier for me to talk about this now and say, yeah, you know what? I would treat everyone the exact same. But when you get in that scenario and you're thinking about your family, like what happens to I die to my family? Um, I don't have dependents, but, you know, if you were in that situation, um, yep. it it becomes a lot more like, you know, I guess emotionally charged. And when you're emotionally charged, I don't think um, many people have made many logical decisions based off purely emotion. You can't. No. You yeah. can't. It's, 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 it's nearly inhumanly possible. Exactly. You have to go through as much training as a military soldier in combat. That's mm-hmm. why they train us so long. True. Right? That's why they train us so long. Now, to to your point, and we're both in this, ladies and gentlemen, listen to us, we are both defending officers right now in this decision. <laughs> both of us, right? Both of us. And what's what's insane, man, is it's, I've actually brought this up at the very beginning when I said federally we've been dehumanized. Yeah. Right. So, and yeah. so, you, so this statistic proves it. That moment they turn left down Black People Alley, right? That, those aren't humans. Those are Black people. That's different. Right? They're not people. They're Black people. Whatever, whatever that means, right? Whatever that means. Because I don't want to interject opinion. So whatever that means to that officer, it will come out in the harvest. I won't have to make it come out. The seed in their head will come out in the actions of their philosophy. That's mm-hmm. not me. So we can 
we can fully say from a human decency standpoint that, and this goes back to the post that you shared. I said this shouldn't even be a conversation. This is human decency. It was a caption there. Mm-hmm. From a human decency standpoint, if I'm dehumanized or demonized, then how can you fault an officer for shooting first? Mm-hmm. Because I may have a gun. I don't need to have a gun. I may have a mm-hmm. gun. And right there is why that's the harvest. We die unarmed, not because officers are bad people. That's not at least that's not the conversation we're having right now. But because black people have been dehumanized. Yeah. And that's what I was saying. It it's almost like even when I go back to my views on, you know, like the protest, what what that turned violent and, you know, turned into potential yep. destruction, looting. I always try to think on things on an individual basis when I'm forming my own opinions. I never like to group like, oh, the rioters did this. I'm like, yep. okay, well, wh- I wish I could know what people did what. And let's say, hypothetically, if five black people were the first ones to act, that would by no means mean that black people are violent and start these protests. It would just mean that those five black people we're having, you know, violence to start this, right? Yeah. Um, it could be five white people, it could be five whatever. It, I feel like it's the oh, same we, thing. What? Well, we have recording that white people broke the first window. A black woman tries to cry stop to a group of white looters in Oakland, but the chaos drowns her out. This is not a black woman who's putting Black Lives Matter. Two non-black protesters vandalize a cafe, but the African-Americans whose lives are actually on the line fear they'll pay. Listen, don't, don't, don't spray stuff out here when they gonna blame black people for this and black people didn't do it. And in Denver, black activist and school board director Tay Anderson intervened when he saw a white man defacing public property. I do get very frustrated when those who aren't people of color are destroying thing, things in our name and we end up getting the blame for it, but we didn't ask for it. The daytime protests organized by black civil rights groups have been largely peaceful across the U.S. But the nighttime rioting has involved people of all races. Whether the non-blacks are allies, anarchists, or even white supremacists, as some have accused, is unclear. We do have to write our own our own stories, um, and part of that is yes, letting us be the voice. The divisions here are not simple. Protesters of various races in Washington D.C. attacked a white man after he destroyed a sidewalk. Then they turned him into police. And a young white woman jumped in front of a young black man near the White House, blocking him from advancing police. The widely shared clip showed a moment of racial solidarity, even as many black Americans insist they write this chapter of their own history. Heidi Jo Castro, Al Jazeera, Washington. Mm -hmm. A white guy in a full mask and an umbrella broke the window Mm -hmm. to AutoZone. That is recorded. Tonight, authorities in Minneapolis say they have finally identified the man they claim incited days of violent protest there after George Floyd was killed. 
dubbed the Umbrella Man on social media. He was captured in this viral video breaking windows at this auto zone, dressed in black, holding an umbrella. In a court filing this week, police identifying him as a white supremacist. Brad Svensson recorded the May 27th incident. It was strange because he was just casually walking through this warlike space. According to court documents, the man also spray painted the words free expletive for everyone zone on the business's doors. Not long after, looting and fires began in the area, police say. An officer telling the court, until Umbrella Man, the protest had been relatively peaceful. This individual's sole aim was to incite violence. After a tip, investigators zeroing in on the 32-year-old police say also a known member of a whites-only motorcycle gang. And David, investigators are working to obtain the man's cell phone location data. At this point, charges have not yet been filed. Yes, period. Mm -hmm. And continuously, you got white people saying black lives matter. Now, let me be fair here. By white people, I'm generalizing. We're talking about white people with an agenda. We're not talking about white people. We're talking about white people with an agenda. I was just truncating that phrase to just white mm -hmm. people, which is unfair. But to be fair, we're talking about the white people who are looking for black population control. Mm -hmm. Those are the people we're talking about doing this, not white people. And it's not fair for anybody to say white people are doing this. But white people with the, with the agenda of black depopulation or population control they're doing mm -hmm. these acts and everyone knows it but how do you spot the enemy when the enemy looks exactly like you so the same problem that white people are having with white people writing black lives matter is the same problem that police officers are having with black people who are violent how can you spot the black people that you are going to protect and serve without hurting us if you can't see which one just by looking. Mm -hmm. It's the same concept. And it's the same thing that applies for Gavin, it's the same thing that applies for Antonio. And it's fair. If an officer can't see that I'm not a threat, but automatically sees me at at least, according to the Washington Post, 18.5% of a threat, then there's no way that officer can make a sound decision from a bad place. Can a black protester make a sound decision from all the post-traumatic stress syndrome that has happened throughout all these years of prayer. There's something called epigenetics. So today I want to define a word epigenetics in very simple terms. Now you're going to hear a lot more about this. It's a very exciting field. But let me just explain what it is. So you have the genes, and genes are small sections of the DNA. The DNA is the blueprint, instructions for building a body. And this DNA gets copied as something called RNA. It's a copy of the DNA. And the DNA is a double strand. RNA would be a single strand. So there's a little copy machine that unzips this, makes a copy, two at once, and then the RNA goes outside the center of the nucleus of the cell and goes to a protein factory where it makes body tissue different proteins. So that's basically what DNA is. And then a section of the DNA would be a gene. So this right here would be compared to a CD. On a CD, you have the song, you have the artist, and you have the playlist in a certain order. 
Another example would be sheet music, okay, for a song on the piano. You have, you have all these different notes in a certain sequence, and the sheet music is basically the instructions on how to create this song. But you need someone to do something with that music. You need some, someone to play the CD. That's epigenetics. Epigenetics means above genetics. The DNA or gene is not set in stone. So just because you have certain genetics doesn't mean anything. It's really the epigenetics. It's really your environment, okay? So the environment is what triggers turning on or turning off these genes. And what I'm talking about is activating the gene to turn on to be turned into a certain protein and do a certain function. If something is not turned on, it's silenced, okay, that turn, it turns it off, versus turning it on, which means that gene is expressed. So expressed means turn on, silenced means turned off. Now, some triggers with epigenetics would be your environment, like what you eat, the nutrients in the food, when you eat, and when you're not eating, fasting, temperature, cold, heat, the stress level, sleep, exercise, the type of exercise you do, your mood can affect your genes, okay? Your state of mind could affect your genes, which is pretty cool. Your age will affect your genes. So it's really only 1% of the genetics that differentiates us from someone else. And this is important to understand because you have to realize that you are in charge of your DNA, okay? You're not so at the effect of these genes as you might think. You can do something about these genes, and it has to do with your environment and what you eat, what you don't eat, your fasting, your stress level, your recovery. All right? That's what it is in simple terms. Thanks for watching. The trauma that my slave ancestors have are still in me. Mm -hmm. And we know this because the people who were born in the Great Depression and lived through it, when they had babies, they gave birth. Baby boomers tend to be thicker and more obese because their parents genetically said the world is rough out here mm. store more fat and that's some next level stuff too so yeah. like for, for the listeners and whatnot because when i first heard of that i thought like this is crazy what do you mean like genetics have like memories and it's yep. like almost like a big um ge- i would just say look into that because gosh we could talk forever on like the science behind that but i could understand how someone hearing that for the first time would be like what the hell are you guys talking about yeah <laughs> but but i would just say have an open mindset look more into that because what antonio is saying um has a lot of truth actually to it and it, it's a very valid point even if it's the first time you're hearing it and it sounds kind of crazy yeah yeah, yeah. And, 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 and to 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 further that point just uh, shortly Black people weren't ever allowed to do public displays of affection because if we did, we'd get split from our families. So basically what happened is today, uh, legacy-wise, we still don't Mm. do public displays of affection. That is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, yeah, that still happens right now. That's the legacy of slavery. Huh. Yeah, no, that's something I never... Yeah. I never pondered that before, but... No, I'm glad you brought that up. the legacy of slavery. Yeah. It's, it's a very relevant point. Um, and so to, I, I want your opinion on this because a lot of my friends and different people who, you know, I care about and appreciate, 
I see a lot of times they'll post something right on social media about this and they'll say basically it'll be a version of this sometimes even these exact words will be or more extreme or less extreme depending on the person how they word it right but they'll say hey if you don't agree with my message uh and what I'm saying that let's say uh that riots are justified right like if I like so I you know we had a discussion about that um but a lot of times people say you know hey if you don't agree with that and black lives matter then what i want you to do is unfollow me block me and shut the fuck up like and here's the thing i get why they say that but to me it's almost like those are the people that you want to keep following you because otherwise you're going to be left with people who already agree with you and then what's the point of saying stuff if people already agree with you you know what i mean it's almost like how are we going to take people that need to be reached and reach them if we're telling them to unfollow us if you get what I'm saying. No doubt. No doubt. So let's 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 briefly break that down. For one, everyone has the right to protect their timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. And it's the same reason you didn't want to watch the video at first. Mm-hmm. So the outcry got louder than your 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 morals. So you went and watched the video. Mm-hmm. Even I made a post that said, if you don't like this, you might as well unfriend me. And it was when the two kids driving away from the riot because they they, they instituted the curfew at 8.51 p.m. And the curfew said 9 p.m. And don't nobody know about that. And they're driving to college. And these officers have been arrested since. And they get, they, the officers run up on this car, break the windows, and tase them. It is a video that has been shared across social media. A pair of Atlanta college students tased and dragged from a car during protests Saturday night. It led the city to fire two Atlanta police officers and criminal charges could still be coming. Today, those students spoke for the first time. 11 Alive's Andy Parati was there for that news conference. Andy, we learned a lot this afternoon. Yeah, we sure did learn a lot from the couple and their attorneys, starting with the couple wasn't even involved with the protest. They were on their way home. Second, we learned that they are not quite ready to accept the mayor and the chief's apology. And Messiah Young, the young man driving, he suffered a fractured arm. Now, this all happened Saturday night just after 9.30 near Centennial Olympic Park. Body camera video shows Messiah Young attempting to start recording cell phone video of someone screaming and on the ground under arrest. He, the, the officers then asked the Morehouse College student to drive away, then get out of the car. And then on the other side of the car, when they eventually stop, officers surround Young's passenger, his girlfriend, Tania Pilgrim, a Spelman College student. In seconds, police broke the driver's side window slashed the tires, and officers Ivory Streeter and Mark Garner deployed their tasers, shocking both of them for 10 full seconds each. Less than 24 hours later, the mayor and the police chief apologized and announced they had fired two officers. The young woman who was shocked, the passenger, listened to what she had to say just moments ago. This is the most traumatic thing that has ever happened and I hope ever happens again in my life. Um, I'm very shaken up. I don't I don't even know how to act, what to do. I just can't stop thinking about if cameras weren't there or if they would have went a little bit further. I can't stop thinking about what could have happened. Like it's all that keeps crossing my mind. Now the police chief has recognized this does not help their ability to calm fears right now in the African-American community as it relates to police brutality. The district attorney office is investigating whether charges will follow for the two officers. 
the attorneys for the, two, the young couple say that they also want uh, some sort of action involving three other officers who are now on desk duty. You're going to hear a lot more from them coming up tonight at 11. Back to you. All right, Andy, thank you so much. Still an ongoing situation. If you missed any of that news conference, you can find it on our 11 Alive YouTube channel. And I said, if you have a problem that this is wrong, you need to unfollow me. Like, seriously, because this is inappropriate. Yeah. So at the end of the day, you have a very good point. Hey, I should keep letting people who hate me like that do that. No problem. Everyone has a right to protect their timeline. I love mm -hmm. your point more than my point because I watch Fox News. Mm -hmm. I do. I'm a member of the NRA. I want to know. I, I get emails from conservative news. <laughs> I want to know every single thing that people who don't like me are talking about. So I stay in those conversations. It's how I know every time there's new talking points come out. It's how I know because once once someone says something, if 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 their if their leader doesn't say it again, I, I don't want to single people out. Mm -hmm. And if the 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 everyone's in a bubble, well not everyone, but most people get their news from one source no more than two right yeah definitely, and their timeline definitely. is full of people who reinforce that bubble that their opinions mm -hmm. yeah so 48 hours ago the whole hero talking points came out about george Floyd, and now everyone's talking about it. everyone's talking about it and i i appreciate knowing that because once i see it in one form of the media and once i start hearing it i know instantly okay that person's vocabulary came from this thing and mm -hmm. now I know where they stand. That doesn't make them a bad person. That just makes their worldview shape how they see me. Right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I would encourage all of you black people listening to me to watch Fox News. And I would encourage all of you white people listening to me to watch. Don't watch BET. That's trash. Okay? That's that is that's not even owned by black people. That is not. It's just it's not. It's propaganda. It's it's propaganda. But you know, watch I don't know, MSNBC. Go take opposing viewpoints because both Gavin and myself agree. If you can't hear the opposing arguments, you're an idiot. Because that's mm -hmm. the whole point of being well, I don't want to say you saying people are idiots. I'm gonna tell yeah. you you're an idiot. Because if <laughs> you can't take someone disagreeing with you, then you need to do something else besides talk. Just be yeah. quiet because we're supposed to disagree with one another exactly. civilly. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, that's one thing that I just think is so important now more than ever. It's like when you disagree with someone, I wish with every bone in my body that someone could reach across to that person who they disagree with and literally get to know them. Even before, like, just because our upbringing shapes our views so much. If I'm in a town of 6,000 people yeah, where like 90 plus percent are probably white, I just made that up. Maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It seems like it. Um, of course, I'm going to have a different view than Antonio who grew up making sure that he could survive each night when I, I never had to go one night without a meal in my stomach. Now is that going to shape political views? It's going to shape just, you know, morals, everything. So, no, I'm... I, I definitely get what you're saying there, and I mean, I just wish if there's one thing people could take away, it's that, because I think that that ability 
what we're doing today, even by displaying that, that ability, if everyone demonstrated that, clearly this isn't a perfect world, but I do think that would change so many things for the better. You, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, we're, like, we're coming together to make a difference, not to fight each other. And that's what's going to make people listen. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, if, if you ever had a chance to go viral, this would be it, right? Even <laughs> though you're not doing it for, for virality, right? It's just, there's so much light and love on this dialogue to the point where I, my assistant or my CO, excuse me, COO said, Antonio, you love Gavin. You need three hours for this guy. No matter <laughs> what you're doing, clear that crap. He may not take it. He may do it. Doesn't matter, but clear it. And I got another one just to get right. She just did all sorts of stuff just to make sure because both her and myself felt that you were trying to do something that was coming from your light. Right? We all have the responsibility to share mm-hmm. the light, however that looks. And this is the way on this day you have decided to share it and you froze it in time with a recording. So kudos to you. And the more you can well do for this, penciling that out you, means a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, man. So it, it's just one of those things, man. I think you're doing a big, big thing. And again, I just want to say to see all this again. I'm not risking. I'm rich. I ain't risking nothing. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah. because my economy is secure. My mm-hmm. economy. I, I don't have a white boss, right? So I can't. I can't upset. I don't. Yeah. Any brand deals I have ain't going brand nowhere. Deals, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I got plenty of, but they're not going nowhere. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying anything offensive. I have my own economy. You, and I'm not saying you're not doing well or well off. I'm just mm-hmm. saying that the risk here, people are going to look at me and go, wow, Antonio is, they, they'll be right. But I'm not risking my reputation here, Gavin. And that should be, that's, that while, while, while you shouldn't be honored for it, and also should be honored for it, right? Because you're just being a human. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they're going to turn against you. They're not going to turn against me. And even if they did turn against me, I live in that reality anyway. And I honestly hope the people that are thinking about turning against me do in the sense where they don't just, if you're listening to this and you disagree and you're like, yeah, this kid, I used to like him. Now I think he's an idiot. Please just reach out to me and don't do yeah. like when I post that story, one person just slid up and said, fuck you. And then I literally asked, <laughs> I said, I said, what's your reasoning for this? Like, like genuinely, like, I want to know why I offended you that much that you would just want to type fuck you and say nothing else. And he sees it, doesn't reply. It's like that, you are a big part of the problem if that's the kind of behavior you have. If you disagree, let someone know. Clearly not everyone's going to have the same reaction as Antonio or I would. Um, we would want to talk to someone about it. But I'm telling anyone right now, if you disagree, please talk to me because it's so healthy. I want to hear what you disagree about. So that way we can understand each other more and we might still disagree. But at the end of the day, if we learn to understand and respect each other, I mean, it's, it's just no brainer. Like Antonio said, it's just part of being a decent human. If cops, if white cops and black civilians did what we're doing, there would be no murder, right? There, there would be at least that percentage from 18.5 would drop significantly drop. Now, can you blame the white cop? Because you made, I, I think, I mean, you made a lot of good points. But the strongest point you made was if I, 40%, if I go left, I'm going to die. Man, you really captured the police officer psyche. Now, we're talking about the regular police officer. We're not talking mm-hmm. about the closet racist, actually. Yeah. Actually, 
yeah, that's, we, we don't really have too many closet races no more. We got mm-hmm. plenty, but but the reaction. You, anyway, let me not. You ain't access. I won't bring it up. Okay. But it's it's far more acceptable to be openly racist now. So we're not talking about the psychopaths and the people who are clearly, you know, white power KKK. Yeah, yeah. We're not talking about them. We when I we don't even give them attention. We're just talking about the regular people, and I don't mean regular in a bad way, right? But you know, the normal Gavins who are going to work knowing that if they turn left, they're going to die, and now they got to be nice when they know they're going to die. You appropriately, by divine accident, really captured the mindset of an officer that would have to go into a black neighborhood and whose promotion depends on going into a black neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Period. Because we don't do crime at a higher rate. But the statistics would say we would because, again, you beat charges with money. We can't. Right? These statistics are, are, are slanted because of poverty. And I really want to take the last time here to talk about solutions, right? Solutions to problems. Gotcha. I know earlier you talked about that. Like, one thing I don't like is when people just talk about problems and leave it. I, we've already talked about solutions, <laughs> some of them, but from Antonio T. Smith, Jr. Um, would love to hear, you know, some of the solutions that you see moving forward that would really help with the current circumstances that we face today. Oh, no, I, I got your solutions without a doubt. And I've got a list, a litany of them in order. And I'm going to let me just give a shout out to Dr. Claude Anderson, because some of these solutions come from Dr. Claude Anderson. He is the author of Powernomics. What's up, family? This is Caden with Black Finance. And today we're going to be doing a book review of one of my favorite books, Powernomics by Dr. Claude Anderson. In this review, we'll cover four of the most important principles in the book. We'll cover the economics, the social, the political, and the role that the church play in our economic development. In chapter one, Dr. Claude Anderson talks about the challenge that we are currently facing and a term that he coins as true racism. And he says that true racism is only when one group holds a disproportionate share of wealth and power over another group. Then they use those resources to marginalize, exploit, exclude the subordinate or weaker group. According to this definition of racism, black people cannot be racist because no group of blacks, especially in America, have the power of exclusion or control of resources to the degree that they can educationally, politically, economically, and socially exploit and marginalize the white race. Dr. Anderson talks about three different reasons why black people in America aren't competitive. The first is a maldistribution of wealth and resources and power. The second is inappropriate behavior patterns on the the behalf of black people. And the third is lack of national plan for empowerment. So black people don't tend to have a plan to self-empower themselves. First, getting to maldistribution of wealth and resource. Dr. Claude Anderson shows how white people have been managed to create several different types of monopolies in America and how difficult it would be for black people to disrupt those monopolies. Few of the monopolies that he covers are the population monopolies 
And so he talks about various laws that allows for immigration from white nations, but prevent immigration from black nations or from nations with people of color. He also talks about wealth monopolies. You see, this include slavery and Jim Crow, which is considered semi-slavery. And it talks about how that system and those systems made white people vastly richer than black people. So they currently control the wealth. And we all know the more money you have, the easier to get money. We all know that some of the biggest contributing factors to building wealth is time and compound interest. And because of slavery and Jim Crow, white people has gotten a huge advantage in America over blacks. The third things that he talks about in this subject of maldistribution of wealth and resources is media monopolies. White people have managed to monopolize all forms of media, um, essentially how white people control most of the TV stations, radio stations, newspapers, and any other forms of news outlets. And so this goes to show how they're able to control how other white people view black people and unfortunately how black people view themselves. One of the things that I love that quote Anderson talks about is not hating anyone. And so nothing here is a jab at any other race. It's just what it is. The final thing he talks about in this particular subject area is the two types of black people that typically sabotage our race. And he talks about the Sambo, which we know today as the Uncle Tom, who betray people for their own personal gain and benefit. And he also talked about the blacker than thou militant, or I would call them today the woker than thou militant, who think that they are God's creation to the black nation. It is so important when you're dealing with economics to develop a sense of culture and a shared economic empowerment mindset. If you cannot do that, whatever you try to build will eventually become destroyed. Socially, black people do not live within communities. They live in neighborhoods. In a community, you have a shared goal and purpose, and in a neighborhood, you simply don't. And we see that a lot of what we would call black communities aren't communities at all because there is no sense of self-preservation or cooperation amongst each other. We also see that during some of America's greatest periods, America's boom, black people did not advance. They remained in the economic depression. This is partially because it is very difficult to build wealth just by working a job. You need to either invest or create a company, probably both. Black people have always been excluded from playing politics by the official rules. And anytime we try to play by those rules, the rules tends to change or the game tends to end. So and Dr. Anderson recommends that black people remove their voting power from the Democratic Party and not put it in the Republican Party because that's no good, but pretty much sell their 40 million votes to the highest bidder. Whoever is willing to do something for the black community, that is the person that the black community would vote for. Unlike the current system where you do not have to do anything for urban black communities and you can get the black vote by just being a Democrat. And last but not least, the black church. The black church has always been a huge pillar of the black community, but the, from an economic standpoint, the black church has the power to do a lot more. It has the greatest amount of wealth of any black institutions, but haven't always put that wealth in the best place. If we can get the black church to do what is right for the community, then the community will be so much better for it. Those are the four principles that I wanted to review from Claude Anderson's book, 
Powernomics. I certainly recommend that you pick up a copy. And I will leave a link below. As I always say, love you and live your best life. He has been an, an, an advisor to all sorts of stuff. He is a, a champion mm-hmm. of the black community. And I'm going to quote some of the stuff he says. And I don't want to act as if I made this up. Okay. At least yeah. some of the stuff I'm going to say. We need... If you want to fix the problem, black folk need resources, whether you want that to be or not. And you don't get to say we have resources. You, every time I say you, I mean second person. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have to. Yeah, okay, okay. Understand. And you don't get to, yeah, and you don't get to say, uh, well, go and get them, right? <laughs> like, we love to do that. We can't go and get them because we don't control the getting. Uh, we're leprechauns chasing the pot of gold, and someone owns the pot of gold factory. Right, you know, so, yeah, we, right, yeah. there's always that thing. There's always that thing going on there. So we need resources. Now we are we actually got those resources. We actually got the forty acres of the mule, and then the president died, and his successor. You can look this up yourself. Reversed all that the next week. That actually happened. It's like a perfect Hollywood. But, movie. Like what? What specific what examples did he reverse? Because. For me and a lot of people listening, I feel like if we kind of hear those ones, it will help, you know, form their opinions around. Got you. Got you. Got you. Let me talk to black people first and then I talk to to, to the general audience and that'll make sense. Black people, you need to do five things. The first thing you need to do is you need to establish your own community. Uh, Brother Polite says that he's never been in a neighborhood. He's never lived in a black neighborhood ever. That's actually true. There are no black neighborhoods. There are white neighborhoods populated by black people. Because we don't own the streets. We don't own the buildings. We don't own the grocery stores. We don't own the gas station. We don't even own the bandana company that we would be wearing, right? We don't own anything. So that's a white populated, that's a white controlled neighborhood populated by black people. So what you have to do is you have to build your own communities. The internet, thank God for the internet, allows you to do that faster and cheaper. Even if you have to start your own podcast community, for God's sake, you need to start your own community in which you can throw out a product and then get money back. Without that, you're pretty much dead in the water because where there is no community, there is no economy. No community, no economy, which leads us to the second thing you need to do, uh, my black people. It's not the voting you need to worry about, it's economics. There is a direct correlation between the people who are dying in the street versus the people who are not. Asian people are not getting shot in the street. No offense to my Asian brothers and sisters, but that's not, it's just not happening. Gay people, Gavin, are not being shot in the street. Because mm-hmm. gay people own most of the wealth in America. Hollywood, like, like the, the whole gay, gay civil rights movement passed pretty quickly when you think about it. Because they own the the a lot of money and they can lobby. Nothing wrong with that, I, you know. Gay people keep doing your thing. I actually I applaud you and I have like so much love for. And I'm everybody know you just follow my page. I'm super uh, egalitarian about that. Egalitarian about equal rights. So we need to focus more on economics because if we got money, we won't get killed. Mm-hmm. Period. Point blank. That's what it is. We are killed because. Why listen to me? Why listen to me when I march when you know I'm going to go bankrupt next Friday? 
Mm-hmm. You think about it, Gavin, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. I got money for one week. Right? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yeah. Sound. yeah, I got money for one week. So the first thing you need to do is you need to focus on your own community, and then you need to take that community and do economics. After you have a lot of money, that's when you focus on politics. See, Gavin, the problem is my people, we go running for president of the honor society, or we go running for mayor, but we're broke. So we can't make a difference because mm-hmm. they involve you to dissolve you. Get some of these trinkets and keep your mouth quiet. Be like us. So after you get the money, then you can start lobbying for equal rights the way everyone else lobbies for their rights, right? Or their agenda. Mm-hmm. But you can't go after politics if you don't have money. Period. The fourth thing you need to do, my brothers and sisters, is you need to control your own courts and police systems. Period. Gavin, here's a new concept that you probably never thought about. It's not illegal for me to start my own city. It's not. It's not even illegal for me to say I don't Would there be any, like, I feel like there would definitely be government pushback. I guess you start making your own laws. Not if I got money, (laughs) right? (laughs) If I have money, I follow the rules of the government. We got enough money to start a subdivision. That's where subdivisions come from. And then uh-huh. we fence off this gated community. That's actually, yeah. And then we have a private police force police our own neighborhood. Yeah, because subdivisions no have their own college. rules and whatnot. Like, you might not be able to That's have a kid right. in some places, like only adults, you know? So, yeah. That's right. That's right. Colleges and university have university police. Yeah, as long right. as it still exactly. falls under the major laws, you can have kind of sub laws if everyone agrees to it in those areas. Yeah. You're an intelligent brother. So, obviously, if I got my own courts and police, I can't get in trouble from anybody else, right? I can't. I can't get in trouble because you know, not not unless you, you know, unless you unless you break a federal law or state law. Yeah, I deserve to get in trouble if yeah. I do that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, we're not talking about. We're not talking about anarchy. We're yeah. saying if I'm getting shot by white cops, if I'm not, and, and I don't mean no disrespect to white cops, but yeah. if I am not welcome in this area, which shit stop going to that area. It's that simple. Don't go there. Go where you're welcome. Control where you're welcome and establish your own rules that you can develop and make sure your money bounces 16, 17 times around your community. The Jewish community does this better than anybody else, in my opinion. The the, the Jewish community, you can literally be Jewish, never learn an English language, an English word, and be one of the top richest people in America without knowing English. That's fantastic. And kudos and claps. I'm not mad. I want to be more like that. Do you understand? I want to be more Mm -hmm. like that. And the fifth thing we do is we need to now control our own media, which that's basically what me and Gavin have been doing here the whole day. There's no no policeman telling us what to say, right? Which is nice, yeah. (laughs) None of this is censored. (laughs) Exactly. None of this is censored. So basically, number one, what you do is you create your own community. From that communities, you extract money, you create your own economics. Once you get enough money, then you go after politics. Then once you go after politics, you go after courts and police systems, start your own suburbs, whatever you want to do. And then once you have all that, you control your own media. You don't have to worry about what Fox News is saying. Not to be disrespectful to Fox News, so I'll say left, MSNBC or something, right? You don't have to worry about what Donald Trump is saying. You don't have to worry about what Obama is saying. Just simply control your own media and you live in your media bubble with the right things that you need to do. So those are the five Mm -hmm. solutions for black people. Yeah, now, 
Sorry, I didn't oh, go, 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 I thought go. you were done. No, 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 no. Please continue if you had another. Yeah, yeah. That. So that's me addressing black people because because uh-huh. we're talking about world and we're talking about it would be inappropriate for me not to tell black people how to get out of this situation. Because how the heck would yeah. I become rich? I did that. Like mm-hmm. I totally did that, right? And that's straight poweronomics. Now we've got twelve more steps, and I, I, I'll list them. It's simple, Well, maybe not twelve. But we'll find out. You need to create your own communities let me tell you how stop moving out the hood by the hood just like that stop moving to where Gavin lives buy where you live and make it like where Gavin lives yes yes tough words but that's still facts the hood can become an oasis of joy if you buy it that way right if you absolutely do it that way then what we want to do, ladies and gentlemen, is we want to focus on business ownership because now we control the resources. And I would tell all of you, black, white, Jew, and Gentile, especially black people, but everybody, if you don't get behind technology, technology is going to erase you. Mm-hmm. There will be soon robotic waiters. They will be. Yeah. And COVID-19 is a great example to get rid of humans. I mean, there, there already are to an extent. Like, you see the self-order stuff at McDonald's and whatnot? There you like, go. Yeah, the self-order it's, it's stuff. It's not exactly that, but you know what I mean. But it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just going to get more technological. Mm-hmm. So black people, every people, you want to... You, you want to be able to focus more on business ownership. So specifically black people, that if we owned lots of businesses we wouldn't die in the streets why because we pay too many taxes and you don't kill your income you understand like i do get what you're saying a lot of stuff really does stem from money i mean take it like a step further even and you wonder where money stems from when you look at the education system yeah i I want your opinions on this because how i view it is there is such a disconnect between what we're being taught and what is actually relevant in our lives. Sure. Now, if you want to be a scientist, if you want to be an engineer, you got to learn trigonometry. If you're going to be an engineer, you got to learn calc, you know, all this kind of stuff. But why is somebody like me, Gavin, who loves entrepreneurship, being taught trigonometry, being required to take courses in chemistry, um, when we're not even taught about our own subconscious mind, how to form our thoughts, how to create wealth, like Antonio is talking about. And I don't expect it from school because people who do these things do stuff so differently. So if it becomes a norm in school, then there's going to be something you have to do differently to get ahead still, in a sense, um, you know, than what's being taught to most people. But I, I want your opinions on school because I feel like there's such a foundational piece. And even if we could have something like, now this, I don't know the legalities behind this or whatever, but I was thinking how wonderful would it be for schools to organize events where, you know, uh, inner city schools and schools from, you know, just, I guess, like neighborhoods similar to my like, suburban, um, just go to the same place and talk to each other. You know, they, they make it yep. safe for everyone and dialogue. And of course, I could see many issues deriving from that, but just... Something like that, you know, I don't want to put young people in harm's way, but I want to see a difference. And yeah, I talked a bit on that subject, but I'm, I'm wondering no, 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 no. Yeah, that would be great. like in general, what, what should be kind of done or if anything should well, be done. Hell yeah, something should be yeah. done. School is where nationalism comes from. Nationalism comes from school. That's actually true, yeah. Is, yeah, yeah, yeah. School is where true. nationalism comes from. There's no doubt. You learn how to be a nationalist in school. That's where it comes from. Secondly, if you're black, you probably want to pull 
your children from the education of your oppressor, right? And I'm not saying all white people are oppressed. I'm talking about the system, though. The system. Yeah. Not, yeah, not Gavin, the system. Not Gavin's grandfather. The it's system. kind of like doing the same thing and expecting a different result, you know? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You're not gonna, you're not gonna let your children grow up being taught by Black Panthers, right? So like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, it, it, it's just not gonna work that way. So basically, what you want to do is, I, I've been homeschooling my boys for five years, and they do all education, they do self awareness, they learn about, you know, yeah, all sorts of crazy weird stuff, simulation theory. My my young, my boys are eleven and eight. And they've been doing college level science for five years. They didn't understand a damn thing when I gave it to them five years ago. I just kept repeating it. It kept repeating it. It kept repeating it. It kept repeating it until it sank in. Yeah. <laughs> until it sank in. Until it sank in. So we definitely want to control the schools. As a matter of fact, man, you bring up a good point. Uh, it better or give me a platform to bring a good point. If you're going to be black and you know you're going to be oppressed in college, then don't freaking go to college. Right, or don't don't go to a regular college, then go to an HBCU. I'm a well, are black. Do you think most black students are oppressed in college? I, I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. I think all people are oppressed in college. I don't mm-hmm. think oppression from college comes from just black people because the return on investment of college is dumb as hell. It doesn't make any more sense no more. Right? This is yeah. not your your grandfather's era. Gavin goes to college. You will not get the return on investment that you need. I'm, I've got money. I'm not sending my kids to college to learn. I'm sending my kids to college to meet the next Donald Trump. I'm sending my kids to college to meet the next Barack Obama. You, you understand? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sending my kids to college if they want to go to college to go get a network. I'm not sending them to learn. They don't need to be smart. They need to be connected. And I feel like there are, you know, social skills and whatnot that, of course, help with that. Oh, but college is fun as hell. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course you would. <laughs> but you're right. Fun. You don't go to college to learn. It. I mean, unless you're going to be like an accountant. Or, I mean, you could even learn everything you need from the internet for free um, in a structured course on accounting. But you're not going to have that piece of paper. And for whatever reason, with the system right now, we need. Yeah. Apple's not requiring college degrees. Google's not requiring college degrees. Tesla's not requiring college degrees anymore. You're going to see that. But it's not, listen, it's the school's fault. The schools have, have, it doesn't make sense for Gavin to be 18 years old and I gave him $150,000 and say go. Nowhere in the world would that work but the collegiate system, which is in bed with the government. Right? Uh So nowhere. So I think college, I'm not telling you not to go to college. Here's the reason why you need to go to college. It's two reasons. One, to get connected so you can like go run for president or something, right? Or whatever you want to do. Two, so you can get a high paying job and then use that money to buy real estate so you never have to work again. Because it's easier <laughs> to invest in real estate of $700,000 oh, yeah. a year versus $7 yeah. an hour, I was, right? <laughs> I was talking to Bobby Castro, um, if you're familiar with him. He, He's big in the yeah, real estate he, I space. Yeah, I just did a conference with him. I just did a conference with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's basically said the exact same thing. You know, he didn't get into real estate till he had big cash, and then he went into real estate with that. With your closing remarks, I yep. would love for you, uh, for more so even people, just in general, the mindset you should have, because everything we talked about, if I'm putting myself in a minority's mindset here, tell me if I'm wrong, but yep. if I hear all this, it makes me like happy that you know people are having these conversations, but still discouraged that 
you know, I'm at a disadvantage. So I want the mindset that someone should have because I feel like it's not a good mindset to be like, oh, I'm at a disadvantage and, you know, kind of yep. like, I'm not going to get ahead because of that. I feel like it's a lot better to flip the script a bit on that. But I want to hear it yep. from Antonio. Get yourself out the middle class, black or white. If you're poor, you already got problems. But if you're in middle class, you still got problems. Because if you're in the middle class and if you're over 60, you are basically, if you're a 60 year old white man in the middle class, still working, you might as well be black. You might as well be young and black because they're getting ready to force you into a retirement, right? But they are. This, this, Gavin, this world is not gonna be kind to your grandfather if he goes to work or is still working. It's not, it's not because they're gonna replace him with you. They'll pay you less and you're faster <laughs> and you, know, you can computer program and all sorts of stuff. All of my words to all of us as a community, no divisiveness whatsoever, is get yourself out the middle class and get yourself out of poverty. You want to get out of poverty because this whole three-hour conversation has been about poverty. It really yeah. has. It really, really That's has. actually true, That's yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You want to get out the middle class because millionaires the new middle class. The reason why you want to get out the middle class is because you're not being treated fairly. The poor can't pay taxes and the rich don't. I promise you, you pay more taxes than me. So you, the burden's on you. If Exxon spills oil in the Gulf or Pacific, they're not going to pay for that. They don't pay taxes. You're going to pay for that, mm -hmm. right? You're going to pay for that cleanup. So my advice to all of you is to focus on your money. I'm not making this about money. I'm making this about your legacy and imprint on this world. You owe it to your next generation to give them a fantastic start like Gavin had a good start because of the hard work of his grandfather and the grandfather before that. But let's say you are like Gavin. You got you a good start. Gavin, please know this. They're going to oppress you. Doesn't matter if you're white. Because mm -hmm. there's debt slavery that doesn't give a damn if you're white or not. Yep. They don't care. What they want is for you to pay as much taxes as possible. And that has no color on it. Mm -hmm. No classism on yeah, it. Yeah, except green. They're gonna make, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're going to make sure that. So those will be my <laughs> words to all of you. Get out the middle class. The middle class is a trap. I don't mean that you're failing. I mm -hmm. mean that the system has failed you. The most lied to generation of planet Earth has been baby boomers. They were sold an American dream that no longer exists. And by the time me and Gavin get up there, we there ain't no social security for us, brother. I, I can't I can't see a foreseeable future how we would have it. So that would be my words, man. I tried to be as unified as possible and, and bless many as people as possible mm -hmm. with that. No, yeah, yeah don't worry about red or blue. Worry about your money. <laughs> like I said, if anyone could take away anything from this, if it's a tactic, if it's someone we talked about, great. But literally just the ability to do what Antonio and I did, if you can implement that in your life and talk with someone who you think you might disagree with something on and talk and get to know them more and know why they think that, I just think that's going to change everything. Will it happen? Realistically, I don't think so. Um, do I want it to happen more than anything? And. I think that there is a chance. Realistically, no, but I think there is honestly a chance with the internet 
Yeah. And I'm just really fortunate that um, I agree that you know we have this thing. I, I thank you and appreciate you very much, Antonio. When the pandemic began, I had the biggest problem in the world, not making money. The pandemic was actually quite a blessing for me as it almost made me a billionaire. I came really close. So the pandemic was a blessing. It was hiring people. And get this, everybody. I had 48 job positions open during the pandemic. $22 an hour with paid training. And I could not find a single person for two years to fit any of those 48 job positions. Hear me well. 48 job positions, $22 an hour, paid training, and I couldn't find someone, not one person, for those job positions. Now, is it because I hire slowly? True. But it's because I wasn't using ZipRecruiter. And that's a fact. I wasn't getting to the right people for the right position to fit my right culture. And there are so many different things that you can do this summer. As a matter of fact, you can free up as much time as you want to. But if you're not using ZipRecruiter, you're probably not going to free up that time if you're attempting to hire people. So what is ZipRecruiter? What is probably the greatest job finder that's out there? And that's why you need ZipRecruiter. You need it so you can find the right candidates. Now, it's not that ZipRecruiter helps you find jobs. It's more accurately that ZipRecruiter takes your culture, takes your job, takes what you're looking for, and immediately matches them with the perfect candidate. And if, the, if, it's, if they can't find a perfect candidate, they will skip over that person and then give you the perfect candidate for you. ZipRecruiter uses one of its most powerful tools, which is the technology itself, to match the right candidates up with your job. You can easily review uh, their recommendations and easily review their recommended candidates and invite these candidates to apply for your top positions. Additionally, ZipRecruiter has a complete suite of tools that makes it easy for you to filter out, uh, review and rate candidates. Four out of five employees uh, have been used by four out of five employers on ZipRecruiter. It is a blessing. And no wonder ZipRecruiter is rated number one hiring site in the world based on G2 satisfaction ratings as of this year, January 1st. My friends, soak up everything I said. It's not an ad. This is a personal testimony of how I found the right people to sit in the right seat 
on the right bus. Without ZipRecruiter, it wouldn't have been possible. So how do you take advantage of what I'm talking about? Well, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. All spelled the regular way. That's Zip, Z-I-P, Recruiter, R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R, ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. And I promise you, you will be grateful that you did so. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash B2B. It's also in the show notes.